this show may contain naughty language and explicit content. You have been warned. Welcome to Facehammer, an Age of Sigmar podcast. Bringing you product reviews, news from the UK tournament scene, as well as some pro hobby tips. So stay tuned and get ready for some hammer to your face. Welcome to Facehammer, episode 56. It's me, Russ the Faceville, and I'm joined by Les, all the eels, Martin, Terry, just the paints pike and byron about to be number two odd and today is a very special show it's christmas isn't it it is it is the day that we have been waiting for it is the day that we're going to talk about age of sigmar two no one will know it's coming though because there's been no (laughs) yeah surprise for everyone right yeah i've not seen anything online no yeah it's been really sparse do I just take a second? We can talk about it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's been a while. We can actually talk about it. Yeah, right. We can hang out again now. I yeah, we can be friends again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I haven't heard from you two this year, so <laughs> <laughs> that's because you've been painting. Yeah, that's true. Painting up chicken, weren't you? That's all. That sweet chicken. Yeah, sweet sweet chicken. It is sweet. It's very very sweet. Uh, yeah, fair play. Um, so this show, we're going to go through all the big changes for Age of Sigmar 2. Now, there is a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of information coming out of the community team. There'll be plenty of podcasts and things like that. But what obviously what we do at Facehammer is we talk about match play and we talk about rules. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the changes. Um, and we're going to give you a blow-by-blow comprehensive guide of what's changing, what that means, how that's going to affect the meta. Um, and that's what this show's going to be all be about we're not going to talk about the box set we're not going to talk about the models we're not going to talk about you know how good it is because you can see that a lot of plenty of places and you've got your eyes and you can just go into your shop and look at it so there's no point in us talking about it really other than it's sweet it's amazing yeah so uh, as russ said go and look in the shop you don't need to tell you how cool the models are yeah element game sells a lot though so you could go there if yeah you want. <laughs> yeah and, and to be honest guys we'd really appreciate it if you've been listening to our show um and you like what we do um if you could go and order your stuff for element through the affiliate it would be much appreciated obviously clicking through a banner or a link of ours or the yeah. link on our website is always the best way to start if you're in doubt yeah just give us the support um we'd much appreciate it um it's it's always good i mean to be honest it's enough to hear people just come up to us at events and say i like what you do but you know, it's also um, it's also good to keep the show ticking over. So, uh, appreciate any help that we can have. Yeah, other appropriate ways to greet us are: "Hi, I bought you this present. That's great. That's that's a favourite as well." <laughs> or here's your hamper. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been bought bought a bottle of rosé in a while, actually. Oh, okay. This isn't the begging cast, is it? Come on, boys. Yes. <laughs> it's been a while since someone's greeted me with a full hamper. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. It's yes, been a while. We just have, have to wait for Chris to come back from Australia, won't yeah, we? Yeah, come back, you absolute gent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Travis, come back as well. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so um, we're gonna just do a quick little bit about what we've been getting up to and and new releases. Obviously, new releases. Um. You know, if you're under a rock, you've got. All the new set. You've got Malign Sorcery. You've got the Handbook. You've got some of the Pushvet kits. So awesome! 
New um, combat gauge. New combat gauge. It's very nice, actually. It's, I've actually, I've actually yeah. used one in in anger as well. Which yeah. Is good. I am. Um, I'm definitely sure. going to pick up two of those bad boys because they're just. They don't feel like they're going to like break the table when you drop them on the table. That kind of disappoints one, me. I, I don't know. I quite. I kind of like. They, they surprised me how thin they were. Like you know, I could like you could keep that in your pocket and not feel like your, your jeans are getting pulled down. Like you know, because of the weight. It doesn't have a necklace bit to it, so you can't no. wear it around your neck. That's well, at least we're not going to see Ben Curry wearing one. Randers, <laughs> oh, he's, he's up to something. He said he's going to do a new picture. So, just a quick bit about our hobby. We've just—it's just the uh, week after Heat Free. Yeah. So um, I didn't attend, but I—I I recorded. I was on uh, Warhammer TV commentating. So uh, if you want to check out those games, you can go on to the Twitch channel and check those out. Um, Did you have a nice time? It was cool. Yeah, it was interesting. So some good games. Uh, it was nice to watch the final um, with uh, Tony play so comprehensively with the change host, um, although it's all going your, to change. What was your pick of the games? What do you think is that was the most interesting one you got to commentate on? Uh, probably game one, which was a Timmy's Daughters of Cain against a Skyer army by Mark from the Marauders. So. Okay. Very weird army lists, very exciting game. Um, not so much from the tactical side, but just more from how entertaining it is. If you want the, to see a game where there's really good tactical execution, then just watch Tony Moore use the change host, because uh, it's uh, it's masterful. I guess at, at this point, do we congratulate him? Yeah, we should, shouldn't we? Tony so. won heat free, much deserved, and long time coming, so well done, Tony. Yeah. The most consistent finisher in the last one and a half years, um, by a long way, probably. Yeah, that's what happens when you use uh, crutches of Zinch um, <laughs> and <laughs> and the crutch host. Um, so <laughs> he's he's crutching better than anybody else. He's gone yeah. to the he's gone to the Paralympics with them. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got one of those fancy crutches. Um, no, but to be honest, it's you know he's using one of the most effective armies well. and playing it well. So you know, yeah, absolutely. Kudos to him. Um, nice to see Brian in third as well. Yes, a uh, kind of the what I have referred to as like the up to date and meta perfect version of my list that I kind of started using so long ago. It was uh, nice to see him bounce back after I smashed him up game two. <laughs> 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 yeah, so obviously um, you got smashed by Les and then podiumed. So you got yeah. quite a lot of soft scores, so I think he's it'd be, it'd be very chuffed for that. Got five. really good, though. It's like, you know, it's like probably the best thing I've seen in paint and stuff. And, and to be fair, Brian is an absolute gent to play on the table. He's like, yeah. you know, everything's... I've ever played, I think. Yeah. You know, because despite his nickname of the Hobby Killer, he's probably one of the, like, again, one of my best opponents, I think, of the last two. Well, 8th edition and, and Age of Sigma, I'd say, one of my best opponents. Yeah, and uh, Warhammer TV, Dan came in second with 80 Zangor. Yeah, good man. Yeah, so good all round. Um, yeah, so we went to the Les obviously played in it, and uh, Les, did you qualify? I did, yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. Woo! Where, where'd you actually finish with the Eels this time? Uh, 26th, 26th, I think, something like that. Solid. Yeah, I think it was 26th. 
Yeah, um, I was only two points away from sort of like top ten, um, just due to the fact I, I basically went three and two, um, like three major wins, three major loss, uh, three oh. major wins, two major losses. I was going to um, say what happened because you were on three majors Saturday uh, night. It basically uh, I got a li- well no two majors Saturday. Um, it's just an experience for the army um, with the deepkin running sort of like three units of six. Um, Mortar guard they're just you've just got no there's just no sort of like fat in the army so you make one mistake um your dice roll below average um you make a tactical decision the wrong tactical decision and you've just got no way of coming back from it unless you get lucky um and it was just down to sort of like the two games that i lost were me having uh, i think inexperience with the army me playing a bit badly um and me sort of uh you know just not expecting my opponent's list to be quite as sort of like good as it was you know um which you know it's a bit unfortunate i think going back into it i I looked at each of the games and thought that i I knew what i could have done differently um and you know i went into the the tournament sort of thinking i'm just going to go for fun and i'm just going to play hyper aggressive you know um i i I dropped everyone um so i was going first and the the two games that i lost it was because i kind of deviated from my initial game plan i think which was i'm going to play really aggressive on the two games i lost i was like oh you know, I need to think about this mission. I need to do this. I need to do that. And then didn't quite, you know, th- those bad decisions sort of like come back to haunt me. Whereas, you know, looking back at it, I think if I'd have done what I was doing in every game, which was basically smashing, you know, 18 eels into turn one. And then if I get double turned, game's over. Um, you know, if I get the party going into turn two, game's over. But um, I didn't do that in the two games I lost. So is basically, it, with it... the IDNF, you just didn't go balls deepkin enough? <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying? <laughs> Essentially, are yeah. they is it, are they unforgiving then? Generally, that 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 version of the Idenath list, do you think it's massively unforgiving? Um, but just because, I mean, yeah, the eels are what 14 inch move. They hit like a you know freight train when they go in, but they they've only got a four up save. If someone's come putting rend back on them, you know, four up save going to five up save. Um, you know, four wounds apiece. They got low bravery. Yeah, they get to reroll it because of the banner bearer. But you know, it, it it's very, you know, you lose one or two of the eels. Uh, and I mean, they are still really like the damage output is still massive for the footprint that you've got. Even if you lose, like, say, half the unit, but you just can't compete in certain missions if you've not got the the full quota eels. Yeah, because it's yeah. Like, essentially, I think what have I got? I've got eighteen. Uh, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 23 models. Wow. You know, that is low. It's like, that is really low. Yeah. Like when you play with Beast Claw, Russ, you're like, you lose two guys and you're like, I can't win this. I mission. had 12 models in my Beast Claw army. Yeah. 12. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so there, there's different things that I was thinking of maybe changing, either dropping a unit of eels and putting 30 Thrall in, or I was toying with the idea of taking the idling out, running three sixes of eels and then putting 30 Thrall in. Um, you know, um, and then just being like having a, a super aggro unit as well as three super aggro units and just playing sort of, you know, balls to the wall and just trying to, you know, just try and sort of like be hyper aggressive with it. But um, I don't know, every time I think about taking the idling out, you know, just as an ability is uh, sort of make me think that I, I need him in there, you know, the reroll ones if you're on wound rolls, if you're within range of him, um, just how how amazing he was in against Brian in Duality of Death. 
um, you know, he either either died like really cheaply, which was my bad positioning or my bad play, or he was uh, amazing. I think he is quite a quite a finesse piece, but you know, I'm I'm not sure I'm going to toy with getting thirty thrall done for the um, you know for the Dorset Doggers Invitational mm-hmm. uh, and see, you know see whether I take a drop of unit wheels and put the thirty thrall in um, and do that. Cool. Um, what have you been up to then, Terry? Painting. Deep Ken. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I've been painting the um, some of the characters, and I've made a bit of a start on my turtle because I've made him quite a elaborate display base. Okay. Cool. So I sculpted an entire model onto the base, which I'm quite proud of. I, I'm not going to say any more than that because I want it to just I want to just put it on the table and people go, "Oh, sweet! What model's that?" But yeah, so just painting, painting, and more painting. I haven't played a game in a while. South Coast was my last game, actually. Yeah, what's your next event? Uh, the Doggers. Cool, cool. What are you um, What are you doing, Byron? What have you been up to? Uh, I did a class with Mr. Soper, who it turns out is still my hero, and it's pretty amazing that I get to sit 10 feet away from him and look at all of the models he's done that I've followed, like, in minute detail, step by step on his wonderful blog, and get to learn to paint from him. Uh, we'll probably do another show where I talk about that and any ideas it's given me, maybe. Yeah, um, I think we'll probably do a show on that. In this <clears throat> picture I'm looking of uh, of the David Soper weekend, you are definitely closer than 10 feet. I'd say you're about three inches from his head. I'm pretty much breathing in his ear. Yeah, um, you're, you are all up in his grill looking at his models. <laughs> he was... He's... Um, He's stippling, so I had to be dead close for that because when he stipples, he's stippling something that's like half of a half of a millimeter across. So um, it's important to be close. Yeah, it was um, it was incredible. Um, it's one of those things that you go to, and I, obviously I will, I'll go into it more in depth when we do go into it more in depth. But um, it's one of those things that I really, really like. Uh, like firstly, like I mentioned already, and I, like it's ridiculous. You get to that's like me saying, "Oh, can I have a running lesson from Usain Bolt?" or something like it, he is a god within our hobby and getting to have a lesson from him is amazing but um you get that thing where you attend it and you do it and you struggle through it and you do whatever you do in the class but then you go home and you just little cogs start turning in your head and you're like actually i could i could apply that like this and it doesn't mean i could apply that technique and paint one model in a year like he does incredibly or or whatever although interestingly he has been painting some models way faster recently and you can't tell because they're still exquisite um it's like oh maybe i should approach army painting like this or can i take this concept and do it like that or whatever so um it was really good and it kind of i came away from it i was looking to reinvigorate my painting once so kind of i mentioned clearing out a load of uh hobby bloat in the last show we recorded and um I had cleared out a load of hobby bloat and then I went to class with him and now I'm trying to figure out where to to put my new ideas that I have um, following the class. And I think there's some... I would like to try and do something properly like painting in a really, really different way but not like painting miniatures way like, like you'd paint on a canvas or something which sounds really arty-farty and I don't quite know how I do yet so I've got to, I've got to figure that out. Needless to say though, the class was inspirational and um, it's got me thinking. Cool. I mean, you could um, go back to your death and start doing some mad freehand, because um, you know I've seen some really cool death stuff where they've got like 
all these like very gothic sort of murals and banners and stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, it'd be nice to see your Nagash finished. Yeah, I I have actually got him out uh, recently and had a look at him, and uh, the first thing I thought was like, "Damn, you painted him really smoothly. You should have stippled him." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's uh, look good I on the bone, like, wouldn't it? If you stippled the bone. Yeah, I've, I've started a load of it smoothly, but I think you can. One of the things I picked up. Oh, I got to give him an airbrushing lesson. I should probably mention that. Like, I literally started my weekend with my hero, my painting god, by sitting him down and teaching him how to airbrush on Friday for a couple of hours. Wow. You can yeah. give him, like, in, enable him to paint more. Like, he's going to yeah. get more trophies. Yeah, well, it was, it, was, it was really, really interesting, actually. I'll cover that in the other show, of course, but. Like what what I found really particularly interesting and, and gratifying in a more selfish and ego based way was I sat him down and gave him this lesson. And the things I push when I give people an airbrushing lesson are like it's just tall, get over any any stuff you've heard on the internet that is completely wrong because there's a lot of people speaking from an, an uninformed standpoint, in my opinion, which is right. Um <laughs> Honest. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of people speaking having bought the wrong brush, whether that's spending too much money or too little or, or things like that. And then the other thing I push is it, you're just painting. Like, if it ac- applies to glazing with a brush, it applies to glazing with an airbrush. If it applies to base coating with an airbrush, it applies to base coating with a brush, blah, 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 blah. And the only thing your airbrush will not do for you is dry brush your models. Um, but glazing, juicing, uh, flat base coats, uh, color theory... It's all really similar, and I spent two hours telling David these things and being like, it's just like a normal brush like this or contrast like that or whatever, and I did his two-day class, which was a a class on contrast within painting, and he said a load of things back to me that I'd said the day before, so that was, um, but but about painting with a brush. Cool. Um, So that was super-duper interesting, actually. Awesome. There you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's always good to pass on tip. I've still got my claim to fame of how to keep your well palette wet by putting a Games Workshop pot over the top of it. He top still tip men- for he Dave mentioned so that in the class. Yeah. Yep. yeah, mentioned it in the class. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> There's that little glow. Oh. Might as well just give me the next trophy. It's all me. Fucking nerds. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, okay, cool. So that's our little hobby roundup. So uh, let's get into the rules. Um, you know, there's been a lot of chatter on the community site um, about different rules. Um, so we're going to run through them in kind of a logical order and try and give you a comprehensive list of the changes. Um, so straight away in the core mechanics, there's some big changes, isn't there, Les? You, you get the same sort of stuff that you would get with uh, with, with Age of Sigma that hasn't changed. So you've got, you know, rerolls take place before modifiers. Um, one of the big things that I think's changed um, within the core rules and something that I think a lot of people have been screaming out for is it's actually official now that you do measure base to base. Yeah, finally. Yeah. It, yeah, it needed to be done. Like measure into models just doesn't work. Yeah, it's. I think it's something that we've we've done in the independent tournament scene and uh, GW tournaments for so long that it, we kind of almost forget that it was actually a thing that you know you you didn't measure between models. Let's encourage logical positive play, just like when AOS came out. Like it's yeah. only a positive thing, isn't it? It actually makes writing rules a lot easier because, like, we had this thing when you said, "Oh, holy within." 
it's yeah. like, or does that mean the whole model? So if I've got like a big wingy model, does that mean the whole wings have to be within or just the base? So yeah. now we're measuring to base. It's like wholly within. You just worry about the base. So yeah. it's like it, quite yeah. a, it's a big change, but actually it's not really a change because that's how we've been playing. Yeah, we've all been playing it that way for so long now. But like, I think just in general, um, it, it is it's good that that is now an official standpoint for the game. Um, you know, just it makes everything a bit clearer. I think personally. Yeah, I'm in favour of that. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've got a few other little changes as well. Like, um, I don't know if that really changes, but just a little bit of like some of the the rules are now 19 pages rather than four. So they yeah. just sort of expanded some of the stuff that was in the old general's handbook and was in like different places to kind of put it in into the main rules. So um, one of those is to do with reserves. So um, officially, if a reserve unit doesn't come on by the end of the game, they count as slain. So yeah. small thing, but it's quite a common question. Like, yeah, I like they... I like that because sometimes on I think some of the War Scrolls said if it if it doesn't turn up it counts as destroyed or something on, yeah. on one of them. But then it's like, well, I'll just keep this unit of like I don't know canary harpies. The, the harpies, I'll just keep yeah. them off the board, and you can't get the points for them. So you're like denying your opponent points. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, there's the there's something that might might confuse people. We we play match play, so. Um, yeah. Obviously, the handbook's coming out same day. Um, so there is something in there about promotion of a general if your general dies. That does not apply to match play. So just if you read that and go, oh, I can have this, and then pro- it doesn't apply to match play. That's so good to clarify, actually. It's, it's, it's a, a narrative open kind of like generic rule, but doesn't apply to match play. Does yes. it really matter, though, now with command abilities being able to use by like anyone? Does it matter about your general? Yeah, some command abilities can only be used if that model is your general. And also yeah. it makes oh, a difference yeah. for things like the range of abilities and for allegiance abilities as well. Yeah, no, true. So um, that we'll get on to allegiance abilities because there are four... The four allegiance abilities are actually in the core rules as well, which is oh. quite interesting. Um, and they've sort of harmonised objective capture, haven't they, Les? Yeah, they, they have... Um... Basically, with regards to the the objective capturing now, um, it's more, are they all singing in the same tune? Well, it's just most models within now, as That's opposed good. to uh, before. You, you know where it was. You know, it it just makes it a little bit clearer for for when you um, when you click scoring in the games. To, cause... Okay, so every every one of them works in the same way now. Uh, generically, yes, but some scenarios yeah. modify it. Yeah. Okay. So basically, the most common one, which is measure to the centre of the objective, most models within six, that's the standard way. Yeah. Um, and when Got they've you. rewritten the some of the battle plans in the handbook, um, they clarify, <coughs> don't use that, use this when it's different. That's or good. use that's that, but good. only these models. So actually, yeah. there's a baseline, rather than being slightly different in some scenarios. Um so I think it's a really good thing to have as a standard rule. Yeah, it just makes it again. It just clears everything up, um, and so that you you know that before going into the game, you're not going to have people flipping through the handbooks, going, "Is is it this way? Is it that way?" Um, other than the specific battle plan, you know, if that trumps it. Yeah, and um, one of the big changes is to do with the uh, the priority roll and the double turn, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, um, I think this is. I mean, I I personally love the the, the priority role. Um, I know that a lot of some of the the older school sort of Warner players probably don't. Um, you know, I know a couple of the guys at the the Channel and Walker Chief Club. Some of the old guard don't particularly like it. Um, but I think this is like a happy middle ground of you know retaining the the priority role, but going some way to mitigate getting double turned so much. I've, yeah, and I think they. Um, it was clear from the rules that, from the feedback, that the impact of the double turn was a was a thing that was conscious in the minds when they were writing the rules, yeah. because there's different ways of um, affecting your decision, um, and actually, rather than just take the rule away, they've they've slightly tweaked it and added in. Um, when we get onto the end of the spells, we'll talk about it, but basically other mechanics which make that decision harder um and not so much yeah i just take a turn because i won the role um, so what have what have because you've been talking around it what what is the change the main change is when you roll a double the person who just had a turn basically loses yeah. the role yeah okay so me and you both roll a four plus you've just yeah i've gone first you've gone second we both roll a four plus you lose the role yeah okay so I would have had two turns in a row then if I took the turn. You're less likely to get a double turn, is basically what it yeah. means. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because basically when you're on for the double on a dub on a when you rock when you're on for two turns on the flip flop, as Jervis likes to say, yeah. then if you both roll the same number, the person who's on for the double turn loses the roll. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that's that's what yeah. So how many times have you drew that priority roll, and you, and you know that, you, and you then re-roll it, and you know that the guy is going to beat you, and he's going always to get, when you get... roll when they roll a one, you're like, this is my opportunity, and then yeah. you roll a one as well. Now that one is going to win you the turn. Yeah, it, that's the thing, or it may not win you. It gives you the option, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah and um, what we've also had is the um, with the predatory spells, um, the person who doesn't take the turn. Um, basically gets to move them first so that's how they influence your decision but we'll talk about that in more detail uh, a bit later so in terms of core mechanics um, before we get into stuff like hero phase and magic and shooting and the rest of it they're probably the biggest changes that we've got there yeah Um, and I think that pretty much covers the sort of the core mechanics of you know rolling dice and measuring and that kind of stuff I don't think there's like you know anything that is too drastic that's going to sort of like you know completely blow people's minds. But I think that just some subtle tweaks are just going to make the gaming experience that that little bit more clear and a little bit better. How about changes to how people build their armies, if there are any generic ones? Um, there will be. Uh, I think we'll probably get onto that towards the end because we can sort of consider everything we've talked about then. Yeah, sure. Um, so we'll do match play army selection at the end once we've gone through the main changes. Um, so we've talked about little subtle changes. Now let's talk about big sledgehammer massive changes. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the obvious one is command points. Yeah. And the new command abilities which is something that hasn't been talked about too much. No. Now, um, the command points is basically replaces the the way that you um, use command abilities. So rather than just your general can use the ability, you now have a resource which you have to spend 
to use a command ability and it's not necessarily in the hero phase no. so um you know if you've got something like immune to battle shock uh, you have to use that in the battle shock phase so if you spent your resource in your hero phase you do not have a resource left because you spent all your points yeah. you can't use it so it's quite an important um change so- it's a big sort of like it's it's all about sort of resource management like you said isn't it russ you know there's there's a very key one that i think byron's going to love which is out of the three generic ones that you've got um you know it's like do you spend your command point and activate your what's your frost art command ability byron uh re-roll wounds okay um, phoenix temple within so, 10 inches so you've got one command point do you use that command point to use that each turn in your hero phase or do you wait until the charge phase um because you get to reroll charge rolls if you spend a command point oh well uh, is that all no uh, you can choose this command ability when you make a charge roll for a friendly unit that was in six of a hero or 12 of the friendly general if you do so you can reroll the charge roll when you Okay, so when you make a charge, so when when you're about yeah. to say, I'm going to charge, I will use this ability, or do you fail it's and then... after you make the charge roll. Yeah. Whoa. So you make a charge, yeah. you fail, right, I'm going to spend a point, re-roll it. Yeah. But then if you don't need to spend it, you have that thing where you're like, oh. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you've cool. got... It's, it's against resource management, right? And you accrue one of these per turn, basically. In your hero phase. Um, yeah. You it start your hero phase, which is an important distinction because um, if you start the game and they go first, you haven't had a hero phase, yep. so you can't inspire a unit, um, no. which basically says, inspiring presence, use this command ability at the start of the Battleshock phase, pick a friendly unit in six of a hero, or 12 of a friendly hero that is the general, you do not have to take Battleshock tests in that phase. So yep. if your hero that is next to your unit that you want to make inspired is dead, you can't do yep. it. If your general's been pulled out of position uh, by using like a slaughter priest, you can't do it. If you've already yeah. spent your resource point, you can't do it. So it, there's a lot more tactical elements in the game about this. And also, on the flip side of that, if you're playing Destruction Army and you normally would have three, you know, two to 40, you know, grots or whatever, and you'd say, I'll make this unit immune to battle shock at the beginning of my go, they just kill the other unit, right? Oh, yeah, I really like that. Whereas now, whichever one they focus on and loses most damage, you go, that's the one that's going to be immune? Yeah. That's really good. Also, people who've got ways to make you take battle shock tests out of sequence, i.e. in the hero phase or something, which was underused because of immune to battle shock, they now get a look in. Yeah, because you can't make them immune because it says at the start of the battle shock phase. So if you've got the Aphis... Aether Earbuster or Aetherferic Earbuster on your Krajons and they have to take a battle shock immediately, they can't use a command point to pass that. Because it's not the correct phase. Because it's not the battle shock phase. No. So um, you've got the reroll charge, you've got the battle shock, and there is another one, which is at the double. So yeah. you can do this after you make a run roll for a friendly unit within six of a hero or twelve of a friendly hero that is a general. The run roll is treated as a six. Yeah. Which um, made Ben Curry smile when I played him uh, recently um, at the when we were demoing for the GW managers. Um, he didn't see me turning uh, Voltonus's run roll to a six, so he had a twenty-inch move to capture an objective. I was going to say that's the one that's going to get underused. 
I used yeah. it um, to alpha strike with my drones. So um, I had the Nurgle dial on. I was within range of the bell. I had my my tree in place. So I ran with a six, and then we had to re-roll the charge as well because I had two command points saved up. Yeah. So um, really useful and probably one that will get underused. But any unit that can run and charge, that becomes immense. I mean, on like a stone horn, that's scary. Mate, you know? it's destruct- destruction probably... Mm. they're the ones who are going to benefit the most from that aren't they I don't know turn to you for uh, Idenf Deepkin 20 inch movement eels that can run in the, you know that can charge Yeah, they get, they get to re-roll their charge roll innately because of their, their horn so 20 inch move turn 2 re-rolling their charge adding 3 to the roll if you're lucky sick but again it's, it's an interesting resource because a lot of lists would be I've already got my command ability I want to use every turn and that I can't if I spend my point on that, I haven't got a point for the re-roll, the recharge, or the run. And if you go to do something, go, I'll run onto an objective, and like when I played Pete, and he ran a necromancer towards an objective and rolled a one and was short by an inch, he had to burn a command point to re-roll to make it a six. Yeah. And he was like, well, I have to. I mean... So- how many times in a tournament have you gone, right, I am X amount of inches away from this objective. If I can pop the six here, or the five or the six, then I'm on the objective, which means I score X, Y, or Z, and then win the game. How many times have we, we all lost so games? Many times. <laughs> rolling a six on the run. I lost blood and glory. I needed yeah. a, a three up on the run roll, didn't I? And I rolled a two. So look how like that resource, knowing that going into the game, if you could play that turn again and you knew, you'd go, I'll not pl- trigger my command ability and I'll know that I can use that that resource to then make me six-inch move to get onto the objective, you know, the six-inch run. Again, it's, it's just all about resource management. It's another tactical element to the game that, you know, I, I think when me and Russ as playtesters w- were looking at it, it was the thing that we got the most excited talking about, as you can tell now, <laughs> like that we're, you know, we're pretty pumped about it. And what's better as well is that you don't necessarily have to be your general to use the ability. So no. all those war scrolls that had these really cool command abilities that, of these five wound heroes that were never going to be your general, suddenly their abilities become accessible and yeah. because they're an 80 or 100 point investment, you've suddenly spent 100 points and you go, well, I've got access to my command ability. I mean, for example, if you look at like the Lord of Blights in yeah. the uh, Maggot King book, you could take him in a normal kind of non-Archeon list and say, oh, I'm just going to use my ability, my Cloud of Flies ability, because he doesn't have to be my general, so my Great and Clean one can still be my general. I can still have my command track, my Great and Clean one, but I can still yeah. use that ability. So there's a really nice um, synergy. Um, I think for me, like the Lord Celestine on foot is going to be a staple in Stormcast lists um, yeah. because you'd never you'd never want to include him as your general because he was so easy to kill. But the the plus one to you know uh, adding plus one to hit it, you know spending a command point you know it, it brings retributors alive because you can you know they're they're adding plus one to hit they're doing their more wins on fives you know you don't then have to substitute you know your star drake then being the general or or something along those lines yeah exactly um i think um the other thing worth mentioning when we talk about command points is other ways to get this resource because obviously yeah. this resource is precious um so in match play f- for every 50 points you don't spend on units you get a command point yeah now 
what's important about that is that those points you don't spend still count as not spent for your triumph. So yeah. if you spend 1,900 points on your army list, you will probably get two, well, you will get two command points and you'll probably get a triumph. So that, for 100 points, is probably I, a worthwhile investement. I it's think kind of you'll, you'll see, points, isn't it? I think you you'll see a lot of points them. lists written at 1950. Well, the the Deepkin list I've got is 1940. That's I what think, I took to Heat 3. I think it depends on your army. So, for example, um, like Legions of Nagash will probably go into a game 150 points short um, yeah. because every command point is a unit of guys back. So, yeah. I could see it almost pays to pay to have less to get more. Um, yeah. So you're getting a, a net return on each of those points. Um, if you bring back a 300-point unit, you're getting 250 points for 50. So it's a way of boosting your army. But, of course, it's a resource. So if you're using it for that, you're not using it on your command ability. You're not using it on your re-rolls. Um, and also the fact that you run the risk because of these mechanics. We'll talk about some later. Um, have a cost in terms of positional play or um you know limitations of range from heroes etc so yeah it's um it's very interesting so there is another way to get command points um and that's for formation so when you have a war scroll battalion um you also get a command point at the start of the game um and that's key as well because like i said earlier about if you haven't had a go you haven't got a command point if you have less points in your army or you have a battalion, then you get the points at the start of the game. So if they alpha strike you and you've already got two command points in the bank, you can actually make yourself immune to Battleshock in the first turn. Because you haven't had to wait for the hero phase to gain your points. Yeah, no, that's cool. Are they um, Can you use these things more than once a turn, Kate? So let's yeah. say you have three, you can be immune to Battleshock three times. Yeah, so three separate units um, could be. Um, cool. And also you can um, stack certain abilities um, and you can save up your points. So you don't spend them, you keep them. So if you don't spend the point you get in that turn, then next turn you've still got it and you get another one. So you can play a different game. I think um, there are some abilities that give you like bonus attacks, for example. Um, so to use the Maggot King example... If you're um, if you're using your grandfather's joy ability to give drones a bonus attack, if you wait a couple turns and you you have a few points, uh, you know, hundred points down in your list anyway, you've suddenly got four or five command points. Why not make that drone unit plus four attacks on all of its weapons? <laughs> same with same with the Iden of Deep King with Voltonus. Wait till turn three, trigger his turn three ability with you know in my list you have six command points you're adding. You pick three units, add one to their attack. You do that three times. So there are there are some combos. So um, command points, massive change to the game. So what you're saying is the same dude. So you could have one great unclean one do his command ability four times. If you've got the points for it, yeah. Ah, that's interesting. 
Okay, I, I thought you could still only use it once, so you'd have to have four great unclean ones to use that, to stack it on one unit. But if you can do the same buff from the same dude, that's pretty strong. There you go. Interesting. I think I'm just going to ignore them completely until I understand them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, command points, massive change. Um, I suppose we should get into the other massive change, which is all about magic. Um so one of the big ones is unbinding. So unbinding is now a 30-inch range with no line of sight needed. <laughs> um, this this is... Some people might go, yeah, it's no big deal. This oh, has massive. a massive impact on the game. It's, oh, thank God. like So much thank God. So many of the armies that I really objected to, that's... Yeah, that's just so, awesome. So many armies that revolved around, in my turn, I'll cast this, I'll cast that, I'll buff this, I'm out of range, I then push it into your face. Now, you probably won't be out of range, but 30 is kind of long enough that you could still deploy out of range to be unbound yeah. on turn one. And if you're playing against Legions of Nagash, don't expect to get any spells off, unfortunately. You're facing against Nagash, it is pretty. It's pretty daunting. Or a Lord of Change. So um, my, I played a game against um, Arcan um, using my Maggot King, and um, my Maggot King army uses a lot of spells, and I had sh- entire phases shut down. But likewise, I also shut down entire phases of the Undead army because I was able to just roll better. Um, and when you can only cast a spell once, it, it can, you know, being able to unbind that key spell is pretty massive. Um, so it makes a huge difference to the game and it makes magic almost less reliable. Are there, uh, like, are there anyone, are there any ways to get, so all the ways that get auto unbinds now, they are even more powerful because the range is 30. Yeah. Yeah, mostly, oh. I believe so, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's mega. For the armies that really don't want something to go off against them once in a game, that's pretty awesome. So the other change to magic is um, the two like default spells that people know. Yeah, um, they, they've made some sort of like some different changes to uh, Arcane Bolt and Mystic Shield. Um, I think if you play the new edition of 40k, Arcane Bolt's going to sound quite similar to what you're used to because um, I think it's quite a similar mechanic to the 40k one. Um, essentially, it casts on the same amount that you did, it, it has already, which is you know fives, um, it, and it, it, it works exactly the same way as in like it's an eighteen inch range. Um, you need to be able to see the, the you know the unit needs to be visible to the caster. The unit suffers one mortal wound, but if the casting roll was ten or more, then the unit suffers d three instead. So it, it's not going to be a case of you know because a certain at certain points in the old edition, you almost never you only ever cast bolt and shield right well that bolt was just super reliable wasn't it because unless you were teacher or someone where you had bolt plus plus as an option you'd yeah. be like well i've got this cool funky blood boil spell on my vampire lord or i got this night goblin thing or but i'll i will just bolt because bolt 
yeah, it, it, it was almost you took the wizard to have access to Mystic Shield and Bolt as opposed to it being like the generic spell that they all knew. Um, you know, so there's a little bit of a change there. You know, um, if you're casting with like, you know, Lord of Change or something, then you're going to get the D3 off, I think, because of just how, um, you know, how handy it is with the extras and stuff um, to cast with the Lord of Change. Um, shields changed as well, um, which again, you pick a friendly unit with an 18. Custom value six. Um, and you get to, this is a big change. You get to re-roll saves of a one um, instead of adding plus one to the armor save. Oh my God. The world has changed. Yeah. yeah. It makes a massive difference because um, so many people would take like Archeon or Nagash or Alario and just go Mystic Shield. And they, they might awesome. as well have just had a better save on their, on their actual um, War Scroll. Yeah, but yeah. now that's... You know, the fact that Nagash can't get a two-up save means he should be a little bit more fragile. Yeah, yeah. you're going to see Nagash places, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but, I mean, obviously, re-roll once is still quite useful, but Nagash has that rule anyway because he, he's got his command ability. So, um, Can I save Frostheart? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yay! So I think um, for me, like as well, if you're playing like Nighthaunt, for example, like and you've got like Spirit Hosts, and it says you can't modify the save. Well, actually, reroll ones actually makes that useful for those units because yeah. it makes their save better, but doesn't modify it. Yeah, that's kind of a nice like holding of hands of two new rules, I guess. Or because your reroll is not modifier, is it? Because you're technically not modifying the dice roll; you're actually just Rerolling it, well, it's yeah. Still, yeah, a reroll's yeah. not a modifier, so it's you can you can use it on a unit that like like ethereal units that say yeah you know you can't modify the roll. It's like a reroll's not a modifier, so it's, uh, yeah, fair enough. Super super strong. Um, so I guess now we should probably take a talk about the biggest thing, um, and that's endless spells. So yeah. Endless spells are like, um, well, this is this is a whole new belt ball game, isn't it? Yeah. So you can say um, the floor, guys. I, this is all news to me, so I'm listening with uh, open ears. So an endless spell is a war scroll that you buy. Essentially, um, you can only ever buy one of any war scroll, so they'll have a point, and they're normally about between like 20 and 100 so they're normally that points bracket where do you know when you've got like 40 or 60 points left over they're like the thing you can slot in uh, into your army and um, we're not going to go through malign sorcery because that's got a load of generic um, endless spells you can use um, but what an endless spell is it's it's basically a war scroll you buy which is a spell it's a model and then um, you have that model in your in your army. You don't deploy it on the table. Who can buy these spells? Anyone can use them. Oh, well. And they don't have allegiances. You can just, like, the Bellwind Vortex. We'll take that as an example, because that's the one in the actual core rules. So um, you buy the Bellwind. So you, you say, I specifically have a Bellwind. Um, we'll get onto it, but basically reinforcements points are gone. So you specifically put in your army list, I want to have a bear wind. You don't just say I've got extra points and I might buy that. So you have to put in your list, I have a bear wind, or I have a purple sun, or I have That's a really whatever. That's really good. 
like that. Um, and what it allows you to do, it gives your army access to a new spell. So all wizards in your army know the spell Bell in Vortex, for example. Um, and you can cast a spell, obviously once per turn, um, and it allows you to place the spell on the table. And different war scrolls will have different rules of how you place them. So some might say, place it within 18. Some might say, um, set it up within 3. Some might say, you, you, you set it up and then put the model on top of it, whatever. So they've all got their own rules of how to do it. So, for example, on the Bearwind Vortex, it has a casting value of a 6. So wizards with a wound characteristic of 9 or more um, that are part of a unit of two or more models or that are already on a vortex cannot cast a spell. If successfully cast, set up a bearwind vortex within one inch of the caster more than free from enemy models, then place the caster on the upper platform. As long as the bearwind remains on the battlefield, the caster and the bearwind are treated as a single model from the caster's army that uses the, the caster's war scroll as well as the endless spell rules. It is treated as an enemy model by the opposing player's army. So basically, your wizard becomes the Bellwind and wizard combined, essentially. Um, oh, so, so no sitting at the back and not getting killed by the Angels player. He can now attack. He can it. just fight you because he can yeah. fight the model. That's massive for the Bellwind change, anyway. So a wizard on a Bellwind vortex can cast an additional spell, um, including the turn which um, the vortex was cast. Um, you can add six to the range of any spells that the wizard casts. Well, that's a um, big change. That is a big change. Good. So it's not double the range, which is massive. Mega. Um, you can't move if you're on a bellwind. Yep. And you add one to save rolls for the wizards. I say it's lost the cut plus one to casting and on it then. Yeah. That's interesting. But you get an additional spell, which is kind of cool. Yep. Now, um, endless spells can also be unbound. Once they're on the table. So yeah. once you're on the Bellwind, so a wizard can attempt to dispel it. So in the, when you come to Endless Spells, basically an Endless Spell um, remains in play until it's removed from the battlefield. And it can only be removed in these ways. A wizard dispels it. The Endless Spell moves off the battlefield or a method on the War Scroll if it's got a special way of doing it. So basically... Um, so it says, um, if a wizard attempts to dispel the Bellwind Vortex, um, so if you're on the Bellwind Vortex, you can attempt to dispel it. The attempt is automatically successful. So this uses up the additional spell. So your one of your spells in your turn, you can instead unbind an endless spell. So if you're on the Vortex, you can go, well, the spell that I got extra, I'll use that to take get rid of it. So I'm now on foot. That makes sense? Yeah, okay. Um, so um, it still counts as a single attempt they can make to dispel an endless spell in the hero phase, um, but allows them any of their normal spells. So if the wizard on the um, Bellwind Vortex is slain, then the Bellwind Vortex is removed, basically, because it's like it's one model, so it basically gets removed with the wizard. Um, and if the Vortex is dispelled by um, 
and the wizard on it has not been slain, set up the wizard wholly within six of the bellwind and more than three from enemy models. Then remove the bellwind vortex from play. If it's impossible to set up the wizard, the wizard is slain. So that's the bellwind. So lots of words. But basically, um, you can unbind other en enemy ender spells. So in if you cast bellwind doing your stuff, in my go, I could unbind it again. I have another go at it. Can yeah. um if it's been unbound, do you only get to try and bring that model on once? Like, does it count as having its points used up so you can't do it again? That's a great question, and no, it does not. So the model, you can only ever have one model on the table, but if it's been removed from the table, you could immediately cast it again. Oh, okay. Oh, that's kind of cool. So once they dispel your Veilwind, you can go and set it up elsewhere. Yeah, um, or you could stop... You could actually go... I put this wizard on the bellwind, I cast my magic. Next turn, because obviously you can still only cast one spell once a turn. So you go next turn, this other wizard wants to be on the bellwind, so I'll, I'll, I'll dispel my own bellwind, and this other wizard will cast it. Yeah. So when you said about the beginning bit, it said if they're not a unit of two or more models, they can do it. Was there any restriction on monsters in there? Yeah, no. nine or more wounds. Ah, uh, right, okay. So you can't, like, pop the gash up on a bear wind then just to get no. your plus one save back. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And out of interest, cool. the bear wind, does it say about pushing models out the way? You can't place it. Cool. Nice so clean. It, it basically says that you have to place it as a model, and it can't be within free of enemy. So if you try and place it in there, you can't place it because you've got friendly models all around it. You can't actually put it on the table. Okay, so you can't Brilliant. place it. Nice so and quick up. No more pushing. I'll get over it. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a endless spell, but obviously there's lots of different ones. So um, just talk about endless spells as a model. So when they're set up on the battlefield, um, when they're cast, basically, and the scroll will tell you how to do it. So an endless spell can't be attacked, can't be affected by abilities. It's treated as friendly by all armies. Um, and it can't be moved unless it's a predatory endless spell. So what this means is you can't charge, like pinball charge off of it, or it doesn't have like a three inch exclusion zone or anything like that. It's basically almost like a model that you, you can't just move over its base, but essentially it's just a neutral model. If that makes sense, once it's on the yeah. table. Obviously different for the Bellwind because it says it counts as you. So the bellwind's got slightly different rules, but like for example, a purple sun, you can move around it. Not you really want to, but you could be near it. Um, now, um, to cast a endless spell, you have to have the model, and you have to have, in match play you have to have paid the points, um, and you can't have more than one of the same model. So you couldn't buy three bellwinds and set up three bellwinds in one turn. Or well, over three turns, you can only ever have one. So essentially, they're unique. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and predatory spells. So um, some of them move when you set them up and do damage and do stuff like that. Um, so these are called predatory spells. Now, actually, they are moved at the start of the battle round. So once they're on the table and you've you've got it into onto the table, it's almost like you it's now almost like a, it's unleashed and now it's going to kind of do its own thing. Um, so when you roll off for the turn, um, the player, basically the players 
alternate picking which spell to move, um, but it goes with the player who has the second turn in that battle round. So if you take the turn, the other person gets to move the spell. If that makes sense? It does. So what that means is that when you get the choice, you might have a purple sun sat in the middle of your army and thinking, actually, I'm going to give them the turn so I can move it the hell away from me. What does Purple Sun do now, as an aside? Um, Purple Sun, I haven't got it in front of me, so we'll get onto that when we do the Malign Sorcery show. Because there's a lot of scrolls in that box, so I don't want to go in through detail. Yeah, because we get it wrong and stuff, and so we'll go through it when we... Um, So, let's say, for example, the spell did, like, D3 mortal wounds to every unit within five or something stupid like that. Yeah, You might not want that your opponent moving that through your army. Um, so you might decide that although you won the roll, not to take the turn. Because it might kill your key character you need for your command ability. So you yeah. can't allow that to happen. If that makes sense? Yeah, um, definitely. So It's another tactical choice, isn't it, that you have to make. You have to go, right, do I want this turn now, knowing that my opponent could, like you said, one-shot my hero, for instance. So it just adds another layer into the game. So you might decide... Um, it just makes that turn choice a little bit harder, not quite as straightforward. Um, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the, the Endless Spell mechanic plays out. Because um, one of the one of the really funky things is some of these do damage at the start of the battle round. So there are things, the abilities that work off talk about the turn but technically you're not in a turn yet so for example Marathi says you can only take three wounds a turn well if you're doing damage outside of the turns then maybe you can do more damage to Marathi ooh that's interesting actually yeah so, is... and also when it comes to Battleshock, Battleshock says the damage you took in the turn so damage you take before the the turn starts wouldn't count for Battleshock, if that makes sense? It does. Oh, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have considered that at all if you hadn't said it, though. That's mental. So um, they're a little bit of... They're kind of a little bit nuancy. So they, they, they will mess around with some mechanics due to the timing of them, um, which is something we found when we were playtesting. Although the rules work, they might feel a little bit counterintuitive in places. Um, but I'll be really interested to see how the how the endless spells affect army design and the meta, and what you'll start seeing people put in their army. Um, I think we'll probably when we do the malign sorcery show, we'll talk about the combos and cool stuff. Um, you know, like hand to dust in for a mirror and stuff like that. I think it would be quite quite cool, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the endless spells. So that's a whole new mechanic to the game. And the Bellwind change is obviously massive as well. Yeah. So as like two people who've used Bellwinds in the past, um, Terry and Byron, how does that sit with you, that change? Are you you think so it's good? I think it should have just been removed from the game like a year ago. So this is the... Without removing it and keeping it in, this is a massive good fix to it. So you can't stop like melee-only armies not being able to hurt you, which is that was that was so like counter play 
yeah. where you could just go, I'm on a bear wind, you can't hurt me. Stupid stuff to it's, do with objectives it's, it's as well. It's stupid. Like when you have croak on a bear wind and you've got very limited or no shooting, it's like, cool, I can't actually do anything about that. And that's stupid. Um, and then you've got pushing the whole pushing thing. Like when I explained to you how to do that, Byron, originally, and I gave you that template, I was like, this is how it all works. And while I was explaining it to you, I was like, this is so, this shouldn't be like this. It, you should just put it on. If you can't fit it, you can't fit it. That's how it should have been. Um, it was um, it was awkward, wasn't it? It was it was kind yeah. of um, yeah. Like I mean, I didn't I didn't use mine to buff the range of spells in particular. And I didn't take like I didn't have the gaunt summoner, uh, so I wasn't like deleting people's units forty eight inches away with impunity or anything um, like that. The it did have the scope for, but I did feel. Uh, the Dirty. point where I had to well it no it wasn't it just felt <laughs> awkward like I yeah. mean I don't I don't think I don't think mine was a particularly exploit like obviously I, I thought it was alright I would have taken it like I never used mine to block an objective that would have felt dirty um, just like the changelings weirdness feels dirty or whatever um, but uh, it just felt awkward that's the right word for it it's like okay yeah. so I'm going to do this thing and I've got this homemade template to demonstrate it to make it more straightforward and the best way is to move this and this and this and then when i shrink them back i'll do that and that's how it works if i try and stick to the rules as clearly as possible whilst pointing in 10 different directions and using a visual aid to make it as clear as possible instead now it's just like if you can't you can't and i'm like fine cool i will or won't take it given those nice clear rules and no one's going to get confused I feel like the double range could have been left in. Now with the longer unbinding range, it's not so threatening. I don't. I, don't, I think that like it's it's still like my arms longer than your arm. Therefore, my magically OP option is just completely yeah, the, out of I reach mean, for your melee thing, army. The plus six thing's still really good because it's, it's still a big deal. It's actually quite a good amount and the fact that you can just resummon it over and over and just keep yeah. popping it up in different places is a good change as well that is very interesting um that's particularly interesting yeah i think uh, it's really good i'm, I'm overall really change overall much better for the game in like obviously not having used it in the game now like the changes feel like they will be a lot better in the game yeah, I mean, the main reason I took mine is because Reckless changed, and I was like, I need a way to get my dudes into combat. So I ended up using something, it's like... Not for its intended purpose. Oh yeah, way out of its intended purpose. I was like, the spell's a nice bonus, because I happen to have magic. I don't care, I don't give uh, a monkeys about doubling the range, and actually want to push my models forward, sideways, left, right, backwards, or whatever, which is... um. I, I used it for a use that I had in mind, but it wasn't its purpose. Yeah. No, I like it much better. Cool. Um, so uh, we'll just quickly go over some of the other changes, um, which are a little bit more straightforward. Um, and then once we finish doing that, we'll go into a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the big one, which is summoning. Um, but um, so in combat, there's quite a subtle change. There's two, actually. Um, so one of them is to do with you have to attack. Wrathmongers! So, oh. yeah. so I really like this change, um, and I think it's going to make certain units now more viable. So, for example, Wrathmongers 
as as Terry alluded to, but also like the Star Drake. It makes um, the Star Drake more viral. <laughs> with the yeah. lantern. It like it, it was a, a not the, optimal choice. He didn't need a hand, didn't he? That poor little limping dragon. I know, and the, and the command point to make him auto-move six inches and run and charge with a Heraldor. Yeah. I know. Yeah, poor Star Drake. But no, that having to attack and not attacking i every time someone put a star drake into me and they're like yeah i'm gonna put it in here you can attack it if like you're you probably get 25 plague bearers around it and i nah nah i just won't attack you and they look at me like well why why not like well don't want to because i don't want to reflect mortal wounds back and i don't want to heal you with the castellan buff so why would i attack you and they just look so disappointed because you you're you're just playing it like in a good way, but in the wrong way for the game. It's both of these, the Bellwin and this, they encourage positive, clear play, which is what the game should be encouraging. Yeah, it's a nice change. It's also Rampages. not a cinematic when you got like a dragon rampaging through the line of these, you know, fire dwarves and they just go, no, all right, lads, we're not going to fight. Or corn, yeah, g- yeah like <laughs> corn guys don't want to fight. <laughs> yeah, and it makes Rathmongers like super legit as well. So I'm happy. Yeah. With that. I'm I'm quite happy with that as well. The next change is really subtle and you might miss it when you read through the rules. And it's a change on piling in. So the change to piling in is, like I said, is subtle. It says a unit can make a pile-in move if it's within three of an enemy unit or it's made a charge move in the same turn. So that's no different there. So if this is the case, you can move each model in the unit up to three inches. Each model must finish its piling move at least as close to the nearest enemy as it was at the start of the move. Now, what this means is if you're in base contact... You can move. You can move because you're still at least as close, which is base contact. So there's no more base locking. Well, if you're connected by two models, you can't technically then can't move because you can't move at least the same distance away because you'd be touching two bases, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other way you can base lock is you have to put use two models because then if the model wants to slide it has to finish that move it feels a lot nicer it feels because then it's like at the moment when people pile in this is this is a problem with movement trays they go oh well you can't move because i'm touching you it's like well no because you're in a movement tray did you mean to move out of that movement tray are you actually touching my base and they're like well yeah clearly i would have touched your base it's like but you didn't so you forgot or you didn't bother so now the fact that you can kind of move a bit and go, well, I'm going to move anyway, unless you contact me with two models, I I, I think that's a lot cleaner. Yeah, yeah, and and it's going to promote sort of sharp play from people because you're only going to get caught out once when you know Archeon tags the corner of a plague bear and then handbrake turns around the plague bear and kills your general outside of range because you didn't see it. You know when you could have piled in and stopped him moving. Yeah, you just lock two plague bearers into him, then you yeah. can't move. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to promote people being sharper with their their pylons because you know that's my biggest pet hate when people pile in loose as hell. I think it's nice as well when you you can kind of you don't do the weird thing where I've seen people do it when they charge as well. They move the first guy into base contact, move the guys behind it, and then can only pile in like one or two round. And it's like, and all you should do is step lock on like two mil away. And then pile that first guy in round to let more guys get in. Yeah, but I mean, it just makes it a lot more, um, a lot more elegant. 
uh, and and you you can't just like go well this guy's going to just like tow you with his with you know just to stop you moving um i think it's i do like the tactical play around piling in in the current edition so because it actually it kind of separates good players from bad players um so i'll be interested to see how this affects the game it's kind of like one of those ones that could uh, make a big difference but i do like there's still a way to base lock if you have to yeah, yeah um, i uh i'm really glad for that yeah but it just requires two things so like a great unclean one can't be base locked by one dude which which doesn't like visually just doesn't make sense but if he's tagged from like two sides then still he's kind of visually it probably wouldn't look right but at least he's sort of trapped between two models um i i, I like that that's that's nicer um so that's basically the the only real changes to the combat i mean obviously the all the attacks and everything kind of work the same um so we should probably talk about shooting as well um because this this is quite a big change um so there's two i mean it's kind of shooting it kind of isn't but there's yeah. there's two here um so do you want to go through these less if you like to use your adjudicators <laughs> There's been a rule that's been added now, um, which, and just to read it directly from the, the, the rules, is a unit can shoot when it was in three inches of the enemy, but if it does so, it can only target enemy units that are within three inches of it with shooting attacks. Uh, a unit can shoot at an enemy unit that is within three inches of another friendly unit without penalty. So essentially, what they're saying is, is that you can only, you can shoot in combat still, but you can only shoot the units that you are engaged in combat with. If you're engaged with two units and they're both within three, then you can shoot both of them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Essentially, it means that you can't have a unit of adjudicators in combat with a unit of Wrathmongers shooting the one-wound character on the objective at the back of the table. Yeah, that's yeah. that's going to make heroes and monsters and things a lot more survivable, which I like because you could just throw a tanky unit straight into a shooting unit Either by you know chucking it up the board, ambushing him from the side, like Nurglings is coming it's, in from the side now. Are just going to pin shooting units and going to be so much hassle. Well, look at the the Cunningbrook then as an example. Cunningbrook's like obviously super uh, shooty. You as a Stormcast player move all your army forward, roll the three plus, drop your prosecutors with the three d six charge out of the sky, charge the Brook. That the, the rook can only shoot the prosecutors. Yeah, or you just put the star drake into it and go. You have to shoot me at minus two. Yeah. <laughs> so it's again, it's a way of dealing with shooting. Um, you know, it it sort of mitigates that gunline aspect of the game uh, a little bit. You know, it just adds run- another element of tactical play. I mean, it's yeah. just like so suddenly you might start taking units like seekers of Sanesh. That's or, my example. I was going to use. You know, like they're and- not very tanky. But, but they're tanky enough to stay in melee yeah. with five judicators without getting well, killed. get there as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Put, put them into a warp lightning cannon. It can only do six wounds. So in a ten wound unit, you're going to be stuck there for a couple of turns yeah. at least. Yeah. You yeah. Your heart renders, not your heart renders, uh, the, the combat canary uh, unit also really, really good. Um, again, dropping them from the sky and being able to sort of like pin that unit, tag it on the corner so that it doesn't then get to shoot at your, you know, your witch arms that are running across the table at it or your, you know, your eels that are running across the table at it if you're it's, a deep and you're using them. It's almost like 8th edition chaff again where you just throw that eagle in. Yeah. 
Okay, go on. You just got you just got to kill that eagle now. You got to shoot it because it's right next to you. And I think as well, you'll be um, like ways to remove enemy units that are in combat with you before the shooting phase would be yeah. useful. Yeah. If you go, well, I've got a spell, so I can do the damage and get the free the unit up, so they can shoot. It's almost the same as like freeing up combat units to charge something else, but it just adds another layer. Um, yeah. yeah, your so target I... priority in your shooting phase, you might choose to shoot with an unoptimal unit first that has a small chance of wiping out the unit that's in contact with your optimal shooting unit so they can choose their targets. Yeah, exactly. So you could shoot, in the Warp Lightning Cannon example, you could use like your Acolytes to chuck globes at the unit fighting the Warp Lightning Cannon, kill it, and then the Warp Lightning Cannon could then shoot what it wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. more tactical. Yeah. Uh, a lot and number tactical nuance to the game, which I think is gonna it's gonna take a little bit of uh, getting used to. I think for people, but like once you get used to, it, it'll be like common practice again, and it'll just be, you know, another thing that you you sort of like take into account when I, building lists and playing. Yeah, I think it'll separate out, like you said, with the piling in and stuff. It'll separate out the good players again because you'll protect your shooting units more to stop them getting tagged. Yeah, exactly. And we spoke about this in the early days when we were asked like what we would do for a new edition and shooting was a bit of a problem at the time. And um, I think we just, I think I just said like, it, it was just not very cinematic that you're being hit round the face and you're then shooting something 20 inches away. That's got nothing to do with what's immediately in front of you. Um, I think as well, it will give an opportunity in the future to add a cool rule to a shooting unit where they can do that. Yeah. yeah like a special sniper unit or, or, guys or yeah. Like, implacable or something so i mean like it just opens up another um avenue for for rules writers to come up with a cool special rule yeah yeah like something like like you said then byron like the soul grinder with that rule where it can run and shoot it'd be a cool like a soul grinder is a huge walking machine it could quite easily fight and then shoot something else because it yeah what it is it would make sense or like you know dwarf ships or something you know if the crew on top could shoot at something while the dudes on the you know on the deck are fighting what's below. So yeah, yeah, it, it, that is definitely like it, you could add in more rules. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's... it opens up an avenue for that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and moving on to the next one, and this one's another one that sort of like came up when we were talking about like you know like Russ said a second ago about you know what would be cool for the, a, a new edition, and, and we weren't sure whether they had this in mind at the time or what. But I think it was even I think me and Dan and even you Russ said it would be good to bring back like the lookout Servold. Um, and you know, I'm not sure whether they had this in mind at the time, but they, you know, they 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 have brought lookout Serbak essentially, uh, which is uh, you must subtract one from hit rolls made in the shooting phase if the target of the attack is an enemy hero that is within three inches of an enemy unit that has three or more models. Uh, the lookout serve rule does not apply if it's a hero or a mon- uh, if the hero is a monster. Okay, so it doesn't. There's no wound limit. It's just if you're if you're a monster, you don't get it. Yeah, so your yeah. prime gets prime gets lookout sir. Yeah, awesome. So does Nidalon. So does Nidalon. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. So, so I think it's really good because um, it's when... going to help death. Oh, massively! Yeah, yeah. When you got your little five wound, like, co- um, is it courtier yeah. guys? Yeah, just they're just chilling out behind the units of ghouls. Uh, that extra minus one to hit is going to make a huge difference. And it's going to make abilities that don't target or don't roll to hit even more effective. Oh, what lightning cannons. 
so like <laughs> you know yeah for example great example but also um things like you know the Drakov breath um off the um lord Celestin on Drakov. so you pick a point if you're in range to take d3 mortals so that, yeah. that gets completely around the hit roll because it's just on a flat four up um yeah it's not two like, two. yeah so there Rainbow is stars. abilities that allow you to do damage without rolling hit rolls or without targeting um yeah are quite good you know so like a air of effect spells and things like that so people weeping on behalf of the poor uh stormcast players whose judicators just got slightly worse don't worry they're (laughs) gonna be fine i know you're all crying for them Um, i am (laughs) yeah i think uh i think it's a nice change i mean like i know um in my bloodbound it used to irritate me um when people just like shoot off my my support characters um you know i, I remember playing against Sylvaneth um with their with their hunters just sort of like shooting me with all their um all their bows and i couldn't even get like you know i just i just couldn't keep my characters alive um, an extra minus up. one is quite big it's going to be you might end up with people leaving tails less as well because like Obviously, that the safest way to not get shot is to be fully out of range. But with that extra minus one and decent save, you might be more likely to take your character up with their unit rather than leaving like a six-inch dingle dangle of five models, daisy chaining it to get them within range of your guy to get the buff or whatever. Which always is a bit a bit strange. Yeah, and that's that's actually a really nice segue onto another rule: dingle dangles. Uh, it's called split units, um, <laughs> okay. but it's not called dingle dangle. But uh, um, it shall forever be known as the dingle dangle rule. So, oh, yeah. um, talking about tails, um, this is one of the rules that's been added in to try and stop um, crazy casualty removal. Yeah. So although you, <laughs> although you've still got the power to remove models. Uh, same as it is now the difference is is that in the battle shock phase so at the end of the turn you must remove models from any of the units in your army that are split up into two or more groups until only one group of models it remains in play and the, the models you remove count as being slain so what that means if you've got a unit of 30 blood letters and you've got like 10 fighting in a place and you've got a four inch gap and another five fighting somewhere else and then you've got a, a another five inch gap and you've got three in a line back to the blood secretor banner you have to remove all the models until you've only got one group that's in coherency oh wow so i can remember as this is an example and i'm sure darren won't mind me mentioning it but he had that free guild army a face armor one year and it could stand and shoot and i can remember him leaving you know like removing models from the center of the unit even though it was strung out so if you charge to the left hand side of the table it would trigger the shooting the same as if you charge to the right hand side of the table so he had like just left guys you know it was just random removal and he was never going to move the model so he wouldn't have to get back into coherency whereas that now wouldn't work that's a that's... really nice neat way of scooping up a load of slightly weird awkward idiocy and just being like nah handled like if it does exist it's going to exist for a turn it's it's a a clean rule i like it it also is a it's also a buff to the star drake yeah because you can go into like a unit of six drones eat two in the middle and then two either side have to die yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
because you select the the casualties when you bite stuff. You do, so yeah. you can bite a hole in the unit. So like that's that's so good. And really catch people out if they've just like daisy change around you in a big like if there's yeah. nine models and they're like bing 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 all the way around if someone doesn't think when they remove them and then you bite them next turn that's going to be really bad for them it's yes. going to be massive on high wound models like you know i think it's going to be painful for like blood letters and stuff like that but if you have a unit of nine crypt horrors and like the star drake you string them in the star drake pips two out the middle Ooh. yeah Ooh. You, you're gonna have to lose three or four from each side like to, well, just, you just use either you side. Side. everyone's within coherency. So yeah, either side. So, but yeah. And so if there's like nine, and you eat two in the middle. You're going to have to lose like potentially three just to keep the other four or five alive on the other side. Does this happen after Battleshock? Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's mega. I like that rule. Now there is another nuance to this. So let's say I've got a unit in combat, and it's kind of a little bit strung out. And they've killed a couple guys. And I kind of want to be out of combat because I want to um, charge something else. Yeah. So what I can do is I could intentionally break the coherency of my unit. Yep. And then remove all the models that are within three of the enemy that are no longer in the main group that that aren't within three. Yeah. Giving me that a unit that now can move and charge what it wants. Or bugger off and go get on an objective or something. Yeah, yeah. So I like that. That's good. So there is a little bit of um, still some shenanigans you can do, but but still tactical. Um, And anything that allows you to kill specific models will be quite powerful, like the Star Drake bite. (laughs) I feel like AOS two is it's just buff the Star Drake like a lot. (laughs) It's gone up in points, right? (laughs) <laughs> no comment um, so, wait, wait uh, your handbook so. yeah we'll wait till we do the handbook review <laughs> you 400 point allies with any <laughs> oh my god you heard it here first guys that's definitely a fact yeah def- 100% 60% of the time yeah um, so I suppose we'll quickly go into scenery and the battlefield because um, one of the things that's a big change is cover. Yeah. So cover saves works exactly the same way, uh, but now it's monsters don't get it, but also war machines with a wounds characteristic of eight or more. Oh, that's handy for the new bolt throw that's got seven wounds. Well, yeah, I had a moment when I read, I reread it, and I went, "Wait, it's a war machine, so you can't, um, you can't do it." So. Um, uh, but I didn't because the way it's worded, it says um, never applies to units continue models with the monster or war machine keyword that have a wounds characteristic eight or more. So you need both the keyword yeah. and the wounds. So okay. if you have a seven wound monster or a seven wound war machine, you still get cover, and it gives you plus one to your armor saves if you are wholly within a terrain feature when the roll yeah. is mo- is rolled, which is always a weird one in the old rules because how can you be wholly within a terrain feature when you're a three dimensional model and the whole model has to be within it? Yeah, because you can't like push your model into the tree; you stand yeah. on it, right? So what what height <laughs> does the terrain cover? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think um, um, base so that's now bases now though, aren't we? Fixes in the it, rules, so. so. That's yeah. an interesting one because now the Eidolon doesn't benefit from the the Tide cover save anymore. Why not? 
Well, because he's got eight or more wounds. But he's not a monster or a war machine. Yeah. Oh, and a monster. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you, you need know, like, monster yeah. or war machine and more than okay, eight that's more cool. war wounds. So. I was going to say, that's I've... pretty harsh to like get a cool, like, yeah, you're in the tide buff. Oh, you don't get it. Because <laughs> originally, that's how I read it, how you, you just interpret yeah. it. But that's not that's not the rule. Because actually rereading it, it's quite clear. Yeah. Monster so the Prime or War Machine. Save as well. Huh? So the Prime would still get a well, he's not save. a monster or a machine. Not, so, yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. So yeah, he's still got the save. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. uh, so yeah, that's, that's cover. Um, so the other thing is the changes to the scenery chart. I am so... I, so I support... Happy. I support these other than one of them. So, <laughs> so my South Coast GT this year was horrific. And the reason it was horrific is because I'm... Who do you play, Les? What's the gossip? I played a guy called Michael Brainin. And the reason it was horrific is that I bunched my models around Mystical. Because in my head, Mystical provided a six-up save. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem being a playtester. Not, not on a one. You, you, you're dead. <laughs> you can't move. So I'm there playing Mike, and as I did it the first turn, and I failed. And he went, "Remember your mystical test?" And I was like, "Oh shit!" And then I popped the one. So, um, so yeah, fun and games. So I'll go through the what they are now and what they've changed to. Yeah, we should, the, we should do that. So, so da- like, damned is a huge change. So, so yeah, damned is a massive change, um, and I think it needed to change. To be honest, yeah, um, you know, um, and basically, it is kind of activates the same. Which is at the start of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly unit within one inch of damned terrain feature to make a sacrifice. If you do so, that unit suffers D three mortal wounds, but you can reroll hit rolls of one until your next hero phase. That's changed twice because it's at the start. Yeah. So damn before you could do it any time. Yeah. So there's a couple of like little changes again, but yeah, it's. I think the the adding one to hit uh, is good to disappear. To be honest. Yeah. There were there were so many powerful. there were so many games where you play like a Cradron player and they get like they pick the side of the board with two bits of damned. They've got like two units of nine like maxed out gun units they just go damn damned both of them and you you know you're like well that's that's just so powerful yeah so what you've got as well with all of the scenery is that you'll notice that every single one of them is now within one inch of the scenery piece yeah um like because the arcane one is obviously was three before but now it's within one inch so You've got to kind of keep a little bit closer if you want that buff. Yeah, so Arcane hasn't changed other than the one-inch rule, which is you, you add one to casting or binding rolls for Wizard while they're within one it's, inch. It's a buff to Heraldors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You've got to get closer to the terrain. <laughs> yeah. Um, inspiring again is the same. You add one to the bravery characteristic of the units while they're within one inch of any inspiring terrain features. Uh, any, so you don't stack it anymore. No. Um, That's okay. Deadly. Uh, roll a dice for each unit that finishes a normal move. Uh, a normal move or a charge move within one inch of any deadly terrain feature. On a roll, on a one, that unit suffers D3 more wounds. 
I'm so that's... glad that's changed. Oh, that's I don't know, because I really liked the fact that Archeon could run for a wood and die. <laughs> but what I like about this one is it's any move. Yeah. So a pylon's a move, a charge is yeah. a move, uh, and a normal move's a move. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just means that, you know, because there's nothing more annoying, um, you know, than when you've got you put your, your dude in deadly train to try and make them do that one. And then they, they sort of like they come in and then they clip, you know, that one guy manages to just get in and then they pile in and say, well, I'm not taking the test now. Um, yeah. So it it's not quite as, you know, it's not as harsh because you're yeah. not going to instantly lose like a model on a one. But... No. It is still, you could technically, you know, if you pop those double one and, you know, 2d3 more wins on a unit, nobody's going to want to take it. It's, it's so I it's a lot safer run, now. I used to always run across anyway, so my gambling was getting super awarded. <laughs> I think someone at the Heat, uh, Kairos, uh, a one when Marafi ran over Deadly this weekend as well. Oh, what a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever that is, seal of approval. I bet, it, yeah. I bet it was Tony. You oh. get a Cherry Pike salute. Um, yeah. that's that's a that's a Kairos seal of approval right there. That is that's good good work. You have to make yourself a little Kairos scroll with a seal on it to give. Oh, it to hand people. them out at events. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, so so yeah, mystical as I alluded to earlier on. Uh, basically, roll the dice each time you allocate a wound or mortal wound to the model within one inch of a mystical train feature. On a six plus, the wound or mortal wound is negated. Um, which actually makes mystical terrain not the the horrendous thing that it is, you know. I mystical... think mystical is now going to be the terrain you want in your deployments. Though. Yeah, yeah, you want it now. Like imagine a unit of plague bearers <laughs> sat on mystical terrain. Yeah, yeah, just got a five up, five up, six up. What? Yeah, or um, was it death, the death one where it's like, okay, so I've got a six up, six up, six up, six up. I think what's good about this is it's the model, yeah. not the unit. So. If you're going to wound models that are around the mystical, but if you've strung a unit out, like it's only the models around the train that get it, not the yeah, unit. So you can't like put one model within one and then cloud out from the terrain. Yeah, yeah, uh, I like that. It's nice. Um, and then sinister, sinister is uh, subtract one from the bravery characteristic of units while they are within one inch of any sinister terrain features yeah see this is the one i wasn't i didn't like this i liked how it used to be because you used to be able to take the buff with you so you could like be sinister charge across the board and it would stay with you to your next hero phase which i really like doing but now obviously it's just where you end up fighting i thought it was like the problem with that i thought it was really janky and nobody played it right and everyone forgets about it see i i was probably one of the few that actually used it lots because you'd have like two or three units that would charge off the same piece of sinister you take minus three bravery with you because it would stack and then it's like i've done two wounds plus this minus three you know it it just adds up i I really like doing that yeah but it's 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 more simplified now it's whatever's within one so you know it's it's like you don't want to sit on that minus one piece of terrain now really, because whatever comes to attack you is going to pick up the buff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's the new scenery chart. So just nice little changes there. I kind of like it. It's kind of uh, toned down the impact it can have on a game, which I like. Um, I don't think they're game-changing like they used to be. Now, I like the fact they haven't changed the names of them as well. So that, uh, Yeah, me too. That we're used to what they are. Yeah, I like the fact the names are the same. 
I'm sure so. Ben Gary does too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are I, some um, scenery dice coming out from Workshop, I believe. So yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm really pleased that like I had plenty of games where we roll for sides, and I was on both the good and bad side, and I'm like, yeah, or like, oh, like literally, like game almost lost because I have two mystical next to objectives which could be devastating for my army or my opponent got too damned or whatever it is um, yeah you're playing a, a murder host and they've got three pieces of damned and they just go damn damn damned on 90 blood letters and just throw them in your face you're like oh this is going to be fun yeah i've, I've <laughs> had that happen or mystical again like um plenty of games i've rolled up and like one side of the table's got two bits of mystical definitely in deployment zone and then one kind of in your side of the middle and you're just like, oh, and you can't like, you can't avoid it because of where it is and you just have to lump it and it just makes things very, very awkward. So that seems, that seems like a super positive change again. That's very cool. Um, there are two other scenery rules in the core rules. Um, so one of them is obstacles. So obstacles, it says, some terrain features are obstacles that block attacks to targets that lie belong beyond them. When this is a case, it will be noted on the war scroll for the terrain feature. So, when a missile weapon targets an enemy unit that has all its models within one inch of an obstacle, then the target unit receives the benefit of cover if the attacking model is closer to the obstacle than it is to the target unit. So... You still got to be behind it to get the benefit. Not necessarily. So, if say for example you've got a obstacle, and I know you're probably thinking walls and fences, right? Yeah. But actually, yeah, um, when we get onto the scrolls, there's scrolls for all the citadel scenery, and stuff like a dragon fate Diaz, uh, uh, a citadel wood is an obstacle. Okay. Cool. Now, if you think about it, and you're say you've got an, uh, a citadel wood, and you are one inch of that wood, so you're stood outside of the wood within an inch, and directly in front of you is stood an enemy judicator unit, who is also within one inch of that terrain, but you're four inches away, but directly in front, there's nothing in between the two of you. Um, you would get cover, because. The obstacle is closer than the thing you're shooting. Okay. I kind of like that. It sort of makes a bit more sense that you'd get cover from stuff around you that you're not particularly stood in, but kind of in the way. So it's a little bit of an abstraction. But um, actually, the way it's written is very clear when you get it and when you don't get it. Yeah. If that makes sense. So you yeah. might move that judicator away from the terrain, you would lose the cover, but to make sure the thing you're shooting doesn't have it, because yeah. they become closer than the than the, the terrain feature. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so it's a little bit of a, a strange one. Um, I was I was looking at it when we were looking at scenery war scrolls, and I was thinking that that seems a bit counterintuitive, but actually the way it's written is actually super clear. Um, when you've played it once, you'll know what's going on as well. Yeah, it's really simple I feel like, to do it. I feel so. like people are going to forget that for quite a while. Yeah, I think that'll be one that that people just don't get, get caught out with. Yeah, 
It'd just be like what the one rule that people go, eh? Um, and that one encourages you to leave tails in some situations, like if you're... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but it says when it has a unit of all of its models within one. Oh. Okay. So yeah. you can be, be strung out huddled. around it. Yeah, properly like huddled around this thing. But you can't like string out a tail of one guy stood next to it, so... Got you. So you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna end up with some really strange shapes. But again, that does make sense. Essentially, you be around the, same, the, the building or the wood or yeah. the whatever. Essentially, it's the same as standing on the terrain. But if your base is slightly overhanging or you're just slightly off of it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got garrisons. So this was on the, I think, Skullkeep War Scroll. Skullkeep, it's now in yeah. the main rules. So um, some terrain features can be garrisoned. I think this is exactly the same as it was. It'll be noted on the war scroll of the terrain feature. Uh, basically, you can set up in that in that terrain piece um, if it's wholly within your territory. Um, alternatively, a unit can garrison a terrain feature instead of making a normal move if all of its models are within six of the terrain feature and there are no enemy models within three of the terrain feature or already garrisoning it. Units that garrison a terrain feature are removed from the battlefield and assume to be inside the terrain feature. Uh, units must treat a terrain feature garrisoned by the enemy as if it was an enemy model. The range of visibility to or from is determined to or from the terrain feature. Um, garrisoning model can attack, can be attacked, cast on bind spells and use abilities, but cannot move. A garrison unit counts as being in cover. In addition, subtract one from hit rolls and made against the attacks made against a garrison unit. So that's from shooting and combat. Mm, that's a nice change. A garrison unit can leave in your movement phase. When it does, set it up so all models are in six of the train feature, more than three from any enemy units. This counts as their move. And it says many train features can be garrisoned, include flat areas which models can stand. Only garrison models can be placed or moved onto the flat areas. Other models that can fly uh, can move over the areas but cannot finish their move or be placed on the area unless they are part of the garrison. Doing so is purely decorative. These models are still treated as garrison and trade features for rules purposes. So it's basically saying, because it's an enemy model, you can't stand on top of it, basically. Yeah, so you can't like fly your Lord of Change on top of like Death Nail Watch. Which has got a unit of guys in it, because yeah. that's essentially an enemy model, and you can't yeah. land on an enemy model. Does that make sense? Yeah. So pretty much the same, but that's in there. Um, now, what we do have, there are inside... I'm not going to go through all the rules... Uh, because it's just it, it's a lot this in the core rules uh it's very self-explanatory and they just use the rules that are in the core rules so for example the scroll for like a dragon fate ds is arcane and an obstacle for example i believe and it might have an additional special rule that's completely from memory so that might be wrong but um basically i'm not going to go through the war scrolls for the scenery because um it's just a lot of a lot to talk about, and they're not yeah. that interesting. And you can just read them yourselves. Um, whether or not people will depends on the event. You might just roll on the chart anyway, because they're using like non GW bespoke terrain pieces. Uh, but if you're using ter- GW terrain pieces, you can just use the war scrolls for them yeah. because they've toned them right down. They're not really wacky anymore. That will be interesting. Like when you play Warhammer world where you just go, well, that's an arcane ruin. So we use the war scroll for arcane ruin. Yeah. They'll yeah. come into it both more and less, won't they? In a, a less overtly disruptive sense, but everything might be played as what it is, which is 
kind of cool. I think it will at Warhammer World for sure because it is all GW terrain. So you just say that is that is an arcane ruin, that is a citadel wood, that is a dragon fate DS, that is an, that is a realm gate, etc., etc., etc. So, um, and I think you could you could easily play those scrolls like that because actually they're not they are very straightforward. They're essentially determining what the role on the chart is and maybe have an additional rule. Like yeah. Realm Gates have an additional rule, but basically you're you're just playing exactly what the chart is and an obstacle rule combined. So it's yeah. not too bad. Encouraging people to have more than just woods is great as well. Like if that encourages venues, whether it was a big one or a little one or a Warhammer World or mm. Element Games or whatever, to have a variety of shape sizes and designs that'll make things look better and play in with more variety. So um, one one thing I will mention is the Citadel Wood scroll, yeah, um, because that's got quite a interesting additional rule. So that actually now blocks line of sight. Ooh, that is a very nice change because good. the amount of times where you put like a model behind a tree that's small enough to fit behind the tree, and then they just go, "I'm going to shoot my six sky fires at that dude." It's like, yeah, but behind that tree, there's no way you could see me. And then you argue about, like, oh, but I can see, like, a bit of leg, so they can all shoot you. It's like, but they can't. <laughs> but now if you're behind a wood, they can't shoot you. So That's brilliant. I like that. So it, it introduced line of sight blocking terrain. Yeah. And a citadel wood is not a Sylvaneth Wildwood. Yeah, just to clarify, a Sylvaneth yeah. Wildwood has its own scroll. Yeah. Does it also block line of sight? No. No. Uh, <laughs> So, scenery war scrolls, cool, and that. The other yep. thing that's in the book is realmscape rules. Um, so, fighting in the realms, basically. Um, so, you can play which realm you're going to be in. Like, you can roll off and just pick or whatever. Now, the realms have a couple of abilities. So, you have a uh, command ability, you have a spell, and you also have a chart which applies to the entire battlefield so it's a bit like a scenery rule but for the entire game um, again not going to go through these um, there's, lot to cover there's a lot to cover there's obviously you know, you know, multiple realms and each one's got a six a six point chart with a command ability you know, and a um, and a uh, spell so not going to go through those in detail Um whether or not we see those being used or not, or whether people just say you're going to play in these realms each round or whatever, um, because some of those those chart roles could be quite devastating in a game. So, like, give you an example. One of them is your line of sight is restricted to six inches. Um, the entire one, game? Yeah. I, I can't see that being played. It gives, um, torn, it gives TOs the option to have that in and say, your game four is going to be this. So if let's say they wanted to make sure shooting was less of something in their event, they've got yeah. that option open to them. Yeah. Which um, I think is a really good use for it because you could say you're going to play these five rounds. Round one's going to be shadow, round two will be fire, blah, blah, blah. And you'll have these. You're not going to roll on the chart. You'll have these rules. Yeah. So it encourages people to build a, a balanced army then. So gun lines go away and, you know, super combat stuff goes away and you, you have to then build... You know, as a TO, it makes you, like you said, it allows you to sort of like set 
a sort of like an even keel across the, mm. the event. Well, yeah. Still remaining within GW sanctioned stuff rather yeah. than being like, hey, here's a crazy... Like, I guess they still might be a bit crazy, but they're like, they're, they're sanctioned crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, it just allows you to... Um, so when you pick a battle poem, you can pick a mortal realm for it to be taken. If you do, the mortal realm will determine which realm of battle rules you use. But if you can't been agree, in. roll off. But it has been in other things, but this it's is just... It's been in Age of Sigma since the start. It has, but nobody yeah. uses it. So I, um... I tried using it once, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not in the right way. <laughs> to, pr- um, to prove a point. <laughs> so... Um... It basically allows you to, um, you know, use these funky rules if you want. Um, and TOs get another thing they can layer over the top. And you can just play it as it is. Like, you can't just, you roll off to see what realm you're in, you roll off to see everything and if you really wanted to. Um, I wouldn't really want to, people to have the ability to pick because you could really scupper people's plans with that. So I think it would have to be randomized. Um, yeah. But that's just thing now in the uh, malign sorcery there is expansive realm rules which we will um discuss in the malign sorcery show so basically what that means is um you can um have an allegiance to a realm so not going to go into that now wait for the malign sorcery show but basically it's very cool um so that's also coming so there's another layer you can add on top of your games. So that's the core rules in a nutshell, with except for um, the match play army building and the summoning changes. So what we'll do is we'll take a break. Um, we'll come back and we'll wrap up and talk about the new uh, Grand Alliance allegiance abilities that are in the core rules. And we will touch a little bit on the summoning um, and we'll talk about the changes to match play army building. Um, and we will be doing follow-up shows. So we're doing a malign sorcery show. And then we're going to be also doing a um, general's handbook show, which we will talk more about the meta, the points and things like that when that's all out there. So that'll probably be in a couple weeks. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll have a quick break and we'll come back. Facehammer is sponsored by Element Games. So for great customer service, all the latest Age of Sigmar releases at 20% off, and all your hobby needs, go to www.elementgames.co.uk. To support us directly, click through the banner on our website and let them know that you came from us. And we're back from the break. So I'm going to talk now about the Allegiance abilities. Now, these are very similar to the previous set of Grand Alliance abilities um, that were in the last handbook, so I'm not going to go into lots of um, detail. Uh, but, for example, um, we'll go through order. So Please the... do, because I want something more exciting <laughs> than I had. <laughs> so the battle trait has changed, so um, you can reroll battle shock tests for friendly order units. Um, that's different, right? I thought it was within it's, range of a hero before. But... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's range of a hero before, so, so it's now just all order. It's just tape, just table wide, solid fits the fluff as well. So um, they've got a new trait, which is strategic genius, 
which at the start of the first battle round you get an extra command point. That's so, really cool. That's really good. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I I think this one was the same. So inspiring friendly audience don't have to take battle to- shock tests with a Vin six of the general. Um, Dauntless, you can reroll charge rolls for the general, which I think is the same. Um, tenacious, add one wound, which I also think is the same. Um, legendary fighter, add one to your attacks for the general. And master of defense, each time you allocate a wound or mortal wound on a six up, it's negated. Yeah, pretty similar. I think they're all pretty much the same. Uh, in terms of the artifacts, I believe these are exactly the same. So you've got your quicksilver potion still, um, your improve your rend. Um, Increase your damage. You've got um, if you allocate a wound, uh, it's not and it's not saying you can. It's minus one hit for the rest of the battle. You've got the once per game talisman of blinding light and the Felix stone. So I think they're all the same. So I think the only change really is the battle trait and the um, first command trait. Uh, Phoenix stone still once per. What is it? Once per each hero phase. Heal each one hero phase. Okay, so that's I'm the same. I'm sure that's the same. Yeah, and um, I guess the other stuff happens at the same time within phases as well. Yeah, so they're all the same. For I'll take my command point, though. That's that's quite, that's quite cool. cool. Yeah. Um, so, um, Grand Alliance Chaos. So the Brattle trait has changed name to Unbridled Malice. Um it says, uh, when a friendly chaos unit is picked to fight, roll a dice between 12 of your general or three inches of a friendly hero on a six plus add one to the hit rolls. So, same, but distances have changed. They've changed the distance and stuff around. Uh, command traits, Dark Avenger, add one to hit rolls for the general's many weapons if it has the order keyword. Um, spiteful Duelist, each time the general's picked to fight, re-roll one wound from their site. Uh, Cutting Deceiver... At the start of each of your hero phases, as long as your general's not been slain on a 5+, get an extra command point. Still okay. awesome, but very different. Very different. Like, completely different, but still quite cool. Yeah. Uh, Lord of War. Um, pick a Chaos unit of in free. Roll of dice on a 4+, add 1 to hit rolls. Uh, terrifying Presence. Subtract 1 from Bravery. Enemy units have been free. Uh, malicious Conqueror add one to the Unbridled Malice roll for units where they've been 12 of the general. Yeah, they, they've they all changed quite a little bit, actually. There's, yeah. They're all kind of different. That's a lot of changes. Yeah. Yeah, and then you've got the um, artifacts, which I believe are exactly the same. Um, so Crown of Conquest, I think, might have changed. So now it says friendly chaos units do not take battle shot tests while they've been six of the bearer. Yeah. That's completely before, different. Before That's... it was, you could use Inspiring Presence twice on a dice roll. Yeah. Right? Well, originally it was use it twice. Then it was you could use it, but on a five plus. And mm. now it's just everything within six. That's really good. That's incredible. So I think everything else is the same, but that's that's changed. What's Chaos Talisman? Chaos Talisman. I think it's pretty much yeah. it's the same. Still a five, still six up, five up against order. Uh, so it says, roll dice to me, allocate a wound or mortal wound to the bearer. On a 6+, plus, the wound is negated. Add one to the roll if the wound was evicted by a model with the order keyword. Yes, it's the same. So, um, destruction. So, battle trait is rampage and destroyers. So, in your hero phase, roll a dice for your general and each friendly destruction hero on the battlefield. Add two to the roll for the general. On a 6+, plus, pick a friendly destruction unit in 6. 
uh, and immediately move six inches if it's more than 12 mm, pile in if it's within three, or declare a charge in any other circumstance. It cannot run when it makes this move, but can move, charge, pile in later in the same turn. So I believe that's exactly the same as it was. Um, so command traits, nothing left standing. Pick a train feature, again, I think this is exactly the same. Um, might is right, add one to wound, wild fury. When you're picked to fight, uh, pick one of the melee weapons, add one to attacks. Um, uh, and while three or more wounds are allocated to this general, add two to the attacks instead. So it's same, I think. Bellowing Tyrant. In your hero face, pick a friendly destruction unit with a six of the general. To your next hero face, add one to charge and run rolls. Um, and it can use the general's bravery. So I think that's the same as well. Uh, big and Brute Shed, one to the wounds. Ravager, add three to the Rampage and Destroyer's dice roll for this general instead of two. So it just makes him a bit more likely to Rampage. Yeah. Um, artifacts of Destruction. believe these are all the same. So uh, Battle Brew, again, is um, once per battle. Um, declare the bear will take one or two. If he takes one, add one to hit and wound rolls. If he takes two, add two to hit and wound rolls, but then take six mortal wounds uh, at the end of the turn. Uh, and everything else, I think they're exactly the same, to be honest, so I'm just going to stop reading them out. But Does it always take six mortal wounds? It was in the last one. D6 wow. mortal wounds, yeah. I guess that's why you don't that's see it That's why it went away, never saw it again. Yeah. <laughs> and it was once per battle as well. Yeah. Uh, so death. Now, there's a big change here. Uh, which is very subtle. So there's a deathless minions rule. So deathless minions rule is now each time you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a friendly death model within six of your general. Ah, uh, yeah. Or friendly death hero roll a dice on a six, the wound is negated. So because it's now model, it's it's a lot less effective because you kind of have to be a lot more close to the character. Yeah, you can't just have him chilling out next to like two big units of 30 skeletons. And it's a six inch, so it's actually quite a small range. And the general doesn't get any bigger than that. But you can take Ruler of the Night, which increases your range to 12. Um, so it's bub- you can, you'll probably have retinues bubble wrapping people a bit more if people are trying to make the most of that. Yeah, so I think you're going to have your characters kind of like in amongst your units now rather than like chilling at the back. Um, Predator in the Shadows, add one to hit and win rolls in cover. Death Incarnate, uh, picking it in three, roll 2d6. If you exceed their bravery, they take d3 mortal wounds. Master of the Black Arts, you're a wizard. Um, if you're already a wizard, plus one to cast and unbind. Red Fury on a five up fight again. And Supernatural Horror in the Battleshot phase, double the number of models that flee while they're in 12. I think they're all the same. Um, Artifacts of Death, Curse Book. Uh, it's exactly the same again. Minus one to hit within three if you've got death keyword. Cloak of Mist and Shadow. Start the combat phase. Use the cloak if it does remove the bear from the battlefield. Set up anywhere on the battlefield within 12 of its original location, more than three from the enemy. If it's impossible, it stays where it is. So it's again, it's the same as what it is right now. Blade of Dark Summons. Now this is different. So once per battle in your hero phase, you can set up a summonable death unit wholly within 12 of the bearer and more than three from any enemy models and add it to your army. The models in the unit must have a combined wound characteristic of no more than 2d6 roll. So just get a free unit. Okay. That's pretty cool. 
So if you rolled like a nine, you could put three spirit host down, for example. And black amulet. Once per battle in your hero phase, a bearer can use the amulet. Pick an enemy unit within twelve. Inflict a number of mortal wounds equal to the battle round. That's the same as what it is. Tomb blade. Pick one of the uh, bearer's melee weapons for each wound roll of six. Heal a wound allocated to a friendly death model within six. The ring of immortality. The first time the bearer is slain, before removing him from the battlefield, on a three plus, you're not slain. And D3 wounds allocated to me healed. Uh, then set, uh, remove the bearer from the battlefield and set them up anywhere within 18 of the original location, more than three from enemy models. So, little subtle changes there. I know I rattled through that very quickly. Um, I think that's because it's not they're not massively sweeping changes. And I think a lot of people in um, new edition of uh, Age of Sigmar will be using other allegiances, I think. Yeah, you'd imagine they'd be taking the Legion of the Gash or, um, you know, over the top of this one anyway. In order, you're getting a bit more of a, uh, not a reward, but you're not being punished so much by uh, by just going mixed order now, which is quite cool. Yeah, and to be honest, mixed order have been performing very well at events, so... Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's the allegiances. Now, just to talk a little bit about match play army building, so it's essentially exactly the same... Um, the only difference is that now you get these command points if you spend less. Um, I'm not going to go through points changes in this show. Uh, that'll be more for the General's Handbook review. Um, one of the things I will talk about from the General's Handbook, and this is a change to the list building as well, is the reinforcement pool mechanic has disappeared. Um, I know this has been mentioned on Stormcast and on Warhammer TV, but essentially what this means is that when you get models and units they are free you do not pay for them in match play so you you don't have to have put extra points for them they are free now free in bunny marks normally because they normally have a cost associated to them either command point or another resource so what has happened is there's new summoning rules for certain armies so i'll go through these in principle, what they are, and give you an idea. So, there's new summoning rules for Blades of Corn. So, you have the Summon Demons of Corn um, special rule. So, basically, um, you can spend your Blood Tithe points on summoning units instead of doing your Blood Tithe abilities. Um, and basically, when you do this, um, you pick a demon unit from the summoning list and add it to your army, set it up. Anywhere on the battlefield, more than nine from enemy units, it cannot move in the movement phase. So your cost is basically uh, two for a Herald of Corn, uh, two for five Bloodletters, three for a Skullmaster, three for five Fleshhounds, four for a Blood Throne, four for ten Bloodletters, five for a Skull Cannon, five for three Blood Crushers, six for ten Fleshhounds, six for fifteen Bloodletters, seven for twenty Bloodletters. 8 for a Bloodthirster of either Incident Rage or Unfettered Fury or a Wrath of Corn Bloodthirster. And all the summoning spells have been removed. Um, Karnak has had his ability changed. So his Call of the Hunt is once per game. If he's within 8 of his quarry during the hero phase, you can summon 5 Flesh Hounds to the battlefield, add it to your army, must be set up within 8 of Karnak and 9 away from any enemy units. And it cannot move in the following movement phase. 
yeah, that's that's cool. I like the fact that a lot of those things are now quite cheap. Like a Blood Throne, is it three, four points? I think it was three or four. Three, yeah, three or five. Was it five? Throne. The Blood Throne is four. Yeah, that's that's not a lot of points, really, for what you get. Like that's quite a nice little, and like five points for three Blood Crushers is pretty good. I think the point is is that you're you you're basically going a whole turn without using your blood tithe. Yeah. So but like getting those units, like where it says anywhere on the board as well. Like in in scenarios where like I don't know, Star Strike and stuff where things are falling on different sides of the boards, just going, oh, I'm just gonna pop fifteen blood letters up on that side of the board. That I think that's gonna be really, really strong. For like yeah. objective control and stuff. For sure, I mean, like, super strong. Um, Flexibility there to summon a hero or whatever as well. It's useful. Yeah, yeah I, I like I like that. It's going to be cool. I think I think it's corn's going to be quite a good, a strong thing now. I bet Pano's well excited. <laughs> He's probably like, no, I need to play Bloodbound. I don't want any demons. Um, yeah. So Disciples of Zinch. Now, there's there's big changes here. Um, so. Um, you can summon Zinch Demons to the battlefield, spending Fate points. You receive one Fate point each time a casting roll is successful, and the spell is not unbound. Um, note that you receive Fate points whether the spell is cast by friend or foe. So, do you unbind your opponent's magic, or do you let them cast to give you summoning points? So, there's quite an interesting mm. mechanic there. Yeah. If you have five or more fate points at the end of your movement phase, you can summon one or more units from the list below. Add them to your army. Each unit you summon costs a number of fate points as shown on the list. You can only summon a unit if you have enough fate points to pay its cost. Summoned units must be set up wholly within 12 of a zinch hero and more than nine away from enemy units. So track the cost from the summon unit for the fate points. Um, one interesting thing is, unlike the corn, where you spend all your points in one hit, um, with fate points you can spend them piecemeal and retain them. So if you have ten and you said spend five, you still keep the other five. Yeah. Um, I think when you summon on corn, you can actually um, split the points into different units. Um, okay. The interesting one with this though is it's at the end of the movement phase as well. Yeah. So you can't like summon a herald and instantly like bolt from them. Yeah, exactly. Which so. is kind of frustrating to play against at the moment. <laughs> it, it's the same as the um, Nurgle mechanic where it's at the end of the movement phase. Yeah. Um, so um, this is what you can summon from the cost. So three screamers for ten, ten brimstones for ten, ten blue horrors for ten, one herald of zinch on a disc for twelve, one herald of zinch uh, for twelve. An Exalted Flamer for 12, Free Flamers for 18, A Burning Chariot for 18, 10 Pink Horrors for 20, uh, 1 Herald on Burning Chariot for 24, and a Lord of Change for 36. So, a Change Host kind of casts what? Five to six, seven spells, maybe? Mm. Your opponent might cast a couple as well. So, it's it's going to take like a good four or five turns to get 36 points to summon the Lord of Change. Yeah, most of the um, abilities are sort of geared around, I think, three to four turns, depending on how good you're casting on whatever it is. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's not too powerful 
like just as a rough like if you're doing you know five or so spells four turns will get you 20 points to summon a unit of pink horrors that doesn't sound like too strong or anything no i think tony had the ability to cast 10 11 spells in turn yeah okay so you could with your opponent's spells as well and they all go off you could get a lord of change like turn three assuming your Mm. opponent does even cast at this point it's kind of a a deterrent there isn't it because you're like well I don't want to cast because you're at 19 points. If I cast a spell, you're going to have 20. I think that's the cool thing about it. Yeah. Now, the other thing in here is the blue horrors and the brimstone horrors split rule has changed. So I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this, this, is, this is important. So um, if a friendly pink horror model is slain, you can either take petty vengeance or receive two blue horror points. So if you take petty vengeance, pick an enemy unit within nine. Uh, roll a dice on a six up they take a mortal wound um so any blue horror points or you can basically take the points so any blue horror points you receive can be used instead of or as well as fate points when you summon blue horrors to the battlefield so you get like a special resource that only summons blue horrors but if you have 10 pink horrors and they all die then you'll have enough blue horror points to summon two units of 10 blue horrors okay essentially now, the important thing about that is... Can't be deployed in combat. It's not at the end of the phase. You're not in combat. You've got to be nine away. You do it at the end of oh. your movement phase. Oh, so good. <laughs> and <laughs> so this basically completely fixes all the shenanigans of I'm going to tar pit you, I'm going to tie you up. Um, yeah. And then Brimstone Horrors have split again rule, which is exactly the same, basically, but you get blue horror points, uh, so you get brimstone horror points when a blue horror is slain. So essentially, one unit of pink horrors will give you two units of ten blue horrors and two units of ten brimstone horrors. Okay. But you have to set them up within range of a hero, and you have to do it at the end of your movement phase, and you have to be nine away from the enemy. Can you can you only summon a unit a turn with this, or is it just up fill your boots? Fill your boots. So, so you, you can had summon like therapy. four units in one turn if you wanted to. Well, wow. well, no. So if, if you kill their temping horrors in your combat phase, they can't put the blues down until the end of their next movement phase. Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, but when that's... they get to the end of their movement phase, they could put five units down. Yeah, yeah. But it just stops you getting tarpitted forever, which is nice. But then also allows them to put units like away on objectives and stuff as well. So yeah, it's still very powerful. But I, it's think, I think it's going to be strong. It's just not going to be like counterproductive play. Yeah, it's, gonna... it's not an active gaming experience then, is it? Yeah, it's going to be like a massive, like just just a complete overhaul of of how, how it works. How it works. Yeah. Um. So also in the general's handbook are the changes to the Gaunt Summoner of Zinch. So the on the battle tome ever chosen. So the book of profane secrets. Once per battle at the end of the movement phase, if this model is within nine of a realm gate, you can use the book. Uh, you can summon one unit from the list below. Uh, the summon unit must be set wholly within nine. This model and wholly within nine of the realm gate, and more than nine from enemy units. And you can have basically ten pink horrors, ten blood letters, ten plague bearers, or ten demonettes. Oh, so, it's just the basic battle line units. Yeah. That's an- it used to be just anything with the demon keyword, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
So that's that's kind of a clever fix. <laughs> yeah, you don't really want Archeon popping out of a round. Well, game, yeah, because you? you could because it's once per game. You can take six six um corn, corn summoners and just go bam six Archeons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, there might be would, a reason that's changed. Yeah, it wouldn't be amazing, but it would. <laughs> um, Someone would buy those six Archeons as well. Now nah, it's yeah. Proxim. It's Proxim. The old oh. horse dude on a big base. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, the old Archeon on horse or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, fine. So, um, Great Bray has had his spell change. So, Devolve, uh, they mentioned it. I know um, Rory's a big Bray herd player. So, it's a casting value on a seven. If you cast, pick an only of an 18. It's visible and not within three of any friendly units. Your opponent must move that unit 2d6 inches. In addition, that unit must finish its move as close as possible to the model from the caster's army that was nearest at the start of the move. So this is quite useful because you can use this to pull units away from heroes so they can't be immune to battle shock. Yeah, and you can pull like chaff screens and stuff away. I think this spell's really good. I think that's really strong. Um, Mutant Vortex Beast, so spawn change. So basically, it says you can set up a cow spawn, so there's a bit of change on that. Um, Lord Screech Vermin King is a dreaded 13th changed, so um, it's on an 8 if successfully cast. Pick any mutant within 13, roll 13 dice for each 4 plus, I take a mortal wound. If any models are slain, you can summon a unit of clam rats to the battlefield, add it to the army. Um, so you can basically add clam rats onto the table. Um, and you've got to be more than nine away from enemy units, and the summon unit cannot move in the following movement phase. So, quite yeah. cool. Create little chaff screens. Screaming Bell. Change the result of 12 on Peel of Doom as follows. Um, a stirring beyond the veil. You can set, summon a Vermin Lord to the battlefield and add it to your army. The summon unit must be set up wholly within 24's model, more than nine from enemy units. The result can be used once per battle. If you roll the result again, choose another result between 2 and 11. Oh, that's quite cool, because then you can pick like the really good combat one that you need that turn. And what's really cool about that is if you take Mixed Chaos and you have Kairos... Yeah, you can just get that double so 6. So you can just... You roll 1 6 and you go, that's a double 6, I have a Vermin Lord, please. I'll just oh, pop wow. a little cheeky I'll little Vermin Lord over there. I'll pop my Deceiver out and then I'll just... Star well, not up. even that. You pop the dude out that has the globe that you throw that just does six more wounds. Yeah. <laughs> See, this guy, he's over there. What? Take that hero off. Pretty cool, huh? I like that, because the bells aren't that expensive either. You could run, like, the old-style list where you have, like, two or three bells and, like, loads of rats, and then there's Three's a good towers. chance... Yeah. yeah, there's a good chance you're going to get, a, you know, over those turns, a um, a cheeky little vermin lord. I like that. I, mean, I, think, I, think I like that. Awesome. I think that's really cool. Um, so, Seraphon, just a quick change. Engine of the Gods. Um, so, um, change the 14 to 17 result. Um, you can summon a unit from the list below to the battlefield, add it to your army. The summon unit must be set up higher than 12 of the model and 9 from enemy units. So, you can choose 20 skinks, 10 saurus, 3 rippers, or 3 pterodons. Remove all the summoning spells from Seraphon. And actually, Seraphon. Because uh, they're in here anyway with their own allegiance abilities. That's, that's why I haven't done Slanesh, by the way. I'll get to that in a minute. They've got a new way of summoning. So I'm not sure if this has been mentioned anywhere yet, but they have Celestial Conjuration. So you can summon units of Seraphon to the battlefield if you collect enough Celestial Conjuration points in your hero phase. 
Before you cast a spell with a slan, you can say he will carry out celestial conjurations. If you do, you receive free celestial conjuration points instead of being able to attempt to cast that spell. In addition, at the end of your hero phase, you get an extra point if your general is the slan on the battlefield and d3 points if you have a astraloth bearer. If you have six or more points at the end of your movement phase, you can summon one or more units from the list onto the battlefield and add it to your army. Um, so summon units set within 12 of a slan or an astraloth bearer and nine from enemy units. So you're very restricted because you have to be around your slan and you have to give up casting to get these points. But so, you could run like two slans and just have one as like a battery slan. Yeah. Because the slan can cast, what, three times? Yeah. So he could just generate nine points plus your general's one plus D3 if, yep. if you've got a banner. So you could get like 12 points a turn quite yeah. happily. If you yeah. wanted to, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can summon for six points a Salamander, a Razordon, ten Skinks, or three Handlers. For 12 points, three Terranons, a Star Priest, a Skink Priest, ten Saurus Warriors, a Sunblood, a Scar Veteran on a Cold One, a Saurus Old Blood, five Saurus Knights, five Saurus Guard, one Eternity Warden, three Ripidactyls, or five Chameleon Skinks. For 18 points, you can get a Troglodon, a Star Seer, 20 Saurus, an Astroloth Bearer, three Croxagore, an Engine of the Gods. For 24 points, a Stegodon, a Scar Veteran on a Carnosaur, an Old Blood on a Carnosaur, or a Bastilodon. So, like, turn two, you could quite happily have 24 points and then just pop down a Carnosaur. <laughs> or pop a Basti out, yeah. Pop a Basti out, that's really good. So, that's quite cool. But again, prioritise the slan if you're playing against that. But that's really cool, right? I think that's a nice yeah. change. So, moving on to... Um, back, well, I should say back to the FAQ bit, because there's a bit about Sylvaneth. Um, so we have a change to Alariel, the Ever Queen. So her rule, Soul Amphore, or however you say that. In your hero phase, you heal D3 wounds to each Sylvaneth model within 30 of this model. Once per battle, instead of using this ability to heal, you can summon a unit below to the battlefield and add it to your army. The summoned unit must be set up wholly within 9 in this model and more than 9 from enemy units. It cannot move in the following movement phase, and you can pick from 20 Dryads, 10 Tree Revenants, 10 Spike Revenants, 3 Kernoff Hunters, a Branch Witch, or a Tree Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anyone's going to pick a Branch Witch, but... <laughs> I'll just but take branch, I don't know, the Branch Witch can summon Dryads as well now, though. Yep, speaking of which, her spell, uh, Rouse to Wrath, is changed, so Casting of 7... If you cut, if you do, you get ten dryads added to your army. Must be set up nine inches for any units, wholly in, or wholly on, or within a Sylvaneth wildwood that is twelve inches of the caster. So you so, have to summon to the woods. Yeah. So a Larial spell, she can do it once per turn. Yeah, her ability. It's ability. Yeah. So you can just pop out five tree men. No, once per battle. Once, you get oh, to once per battle. Unit. Okay. Right. So That's she fine. heals every turn, and once <laughs> yeah. per battle, you can pop a, a unit out. Can anyone Still. take Sylvaneth Woods now? Because it used to be a bit unclear, didn't it? Um, no, it's it, it's you have to have an ability to summon it. So you could, because you could take a um, Tree Lord Ancient, and on a four plus, you can put a Wild Wildwood down. Okay, but so for mixed order, there's not a way to get a um, 
you can't just buy silver nether woods because there's no way to set them up. Oh yeah. Okay. You could you could have a spell that allows you to set up, but I think that's an allegiance spell. Okay. So, I think the tree lord's the only way you can do it. The tree lord ancient. Yeah. Still um, taking Alarial and getting a free tree lord as well. Is pretty oh, cool. Alarial can do it actually because her spell I think turns people into woods. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um. So Sanesh then, just quickly. Um. So they have the rule feed on depravity so you can summon units of Sinesh demons to the battlefield if you collect enough depravity points each you get them with your dingle dangles <laughs> each time a slash hero dingle dangles uh, sorry, inflicts a wound <laughs> on an enemy model but that model is not slain by that wound, you receive one depravity point in addition, every time a wound is inflicted on a Sinesh hero, but that model is not slain, you receive a depravity point for example, if your Keeper of Secret inflicts 10 damage on a unit of 5 Stormcast Liberators, as the Liberators have a Wounds character of 2, the first wound allocated to each Liberator will give you a Depravity point. The second wound uh, does not generate a point as it will kill a model. So the Slanesh player generates 5 Depravity points. I kind of like that. It's just like torturing. That's pretty cool. So, people for points. You can also stand on terrain yourself with people to get... Yeah, so you could take damn terrain, for example, to give you points. Well, yeah, you could put your little heroes near deadly and take D three wounds as well, and like get three points for like hurting yourself with three wounds. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So if you have six or more depravity points at the end of your movement phase, you can summon one or more units from the list on the right, and then add them to your army. Each unit you summon costs a number of depravity points, as shown in the list. You can only summon a unit if you have enough depravity points to pay the cost. Summon units must be set up wholly within 12 of any friendly slash hero and more than 9 from um, enemy units. Subtract the cost from the depravity points you have immediately after setting up. So, for 6 points, a Herald of Sanesh. 5 Demonettes of Sanesh. For 12 points, 5 Seekers of Sanesh. A a Seeker Chariot. A Herald of Sanesh on Seeker Chariot. A Hellflayer of Sunesh, three Fiends of Sunesh, one Exalted Seeker Chariot of Sunesh, ten Demonettes. That's all twelve points. Then for eighteen points, an Exalted a Herald of Sunesh on Exalted Seeker Chariot, twenty Demonettes. And for twenty-four points, three Seeker Chariots of Sunesh or a Keeper of Secrets. Chariot like spam list is real. That's going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, you want you want to take like the big chariots that have like ten, twelve wounds, whatever. You're going to get eleven points out of those plus well, whatever they damage. It's just like infinite tractor. So you you ram one of those big exalt chariots in, do a load of wounds. They kill it back for ten or so points worth. You almost get enough probably out of one exalted chariot to get a free keeper of secrets. Infinite tractors. <laughs> it's just infinite lawnmowers. Oh, it'd be amazing. So it's really cool, right? I think I think Slanesh are going to be so much fun. <laughs> so I'm just going to push this tractor into you. Does a load of damage. You kill it. I'll just get enough one back. Push it back <laughs> into just, you. I'll just Instead. I'll just take this thing you've killed and I'll just put it back on the table. Yeah. I'll just redeploy it nine inches away. You charge it, it dies. Just set it up nine inches Good away thing again. Impact hits. <laughs> oh god, I'm That's so brilliant. glad I got a Slanesh army. They're going to be so much fun. <laughs> oh god. It's a, it's a lot and of obviously. Building. 
um, you've the Maggot King and um, Legions of Nagash rules are the same, so they work as they're written in the books now, so there's no yeah. difference there. Um, obviously, because the command ability, that's going to cost a command point, um, so that becomes a very valuable resource. So um, just just before, I mean, obviously we've we've summed up the sort of rules, and I went very quickly through a lot of those those rules at the end. How do you think summoning is going to affect the meta of the game? I'm worried about armies that don't have access to summoning. Like the Deepkin, I'm worried that they're like a new book. They they seem like they're going to be quite strong, but at the same time, I I just feel like Seraphon and like maybe Corn and Nurgle and Death are going to be just really strong with the summoning are you just going to be overshadowed by anything that can summon is that going to be a thing i reckon people are get like people won't realize as is always the case with this type of stuff they're like oh this is all sexy and you and crazy they won't realize they are they are starting the game down like you are starting down and your stuff will hopefully be appropriately pointed anyway so armies with potential for summoning points will have gone up so i think people might not see the wood for the trees and think, oh, I've got all this potential, and then play like, a, I don't know, a Stormcast army that starts with 100% of its force on the table um, and just starts, does its business, and then limits people or blocks stuff off or keys, uh, sorry, kills key pieces. Um, so I think it might not be quite as sexy as it sounds. And also it's a lot for people to remember and not screw up and make the right decision on or fail to get to 12 points when they needed 12 points to summon their particular thing or stuff like that so i'm like i'm not sure it's a lot of new information that's for sure like that that infinite lawnmower slash army sounds like it's gonna be great fun like i can't wait to get the book to point that up because if, yeah. if i've got the models i'm rolling that bad boy out for the final <laughs> it's only a little bit of building please do it would look so good on a table as well because well, i've got like three exalted chariots 60 demonettes two keepers and like a bunch of other stuff anyway so it wouldn't take a lot to add a few more chariots in chugga, just, chugga, chugga. just for the funsies like i got i gotta have a look and see if it's like viable but from that it sounds like it's going to be really good but it might be absolute you know trash it might not work at all but is it is it each time you take a wound or allocate a wound? Is it each time a Slanesh hero takes a wound? It's it's a hero inflicts or takes. Okay, that's cool, because the exalted chariots, the heralds on, are heroes, so you can use all the chariots, because they all have heroes on. Yeah. So that would mm-hmm. be interesting. So that, I don't know, that sounds like it's going to be awesome. Like they, they can bring oh, themselves back as well. They yeah. can, you just drive into something, die, earn enough points from your ride on it <laughs> to just come back again. <laughs> But obviously, if the unit you fight are only got one wound a model, you don't get any points. Yeah, yeah we, you just get the points that you would take from the damage back to yourself. So, yeah, it'll be great fun against stuff that's got multiple wounds. Like, you go into a unit of Savage Orcs with those two wounds each. Well, that's a juicy unit right there. <laughs> yeah, I think... I'm just going to double check. I think if you die, you don't get the points. So you have to, like, lose the wounds and not die. Oh, uh, okay. okay, then. Oh, you totally ruined Infinite Lawnmower. <laughs> Yeah, I was just thinking. I'm sure there's. But then again, that out. would if that was the case, that would give you an amazing guessing game of like, oh, I think that unit can hurt because it has to choose to attack now, and they can't choose not to. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I think that unit can hurt me, but like for six wounds, and I've yeah. got twelve. Or so whatever. I've got twelve. I quite happily just go in and take six or so this turn, and do maybe five or six to get twelve points or so out of them this turn. 
Yeah. No, I think it does work as we think that it's when you allocate a wound and not slain. So if you took, if you had twelve wounds and took twelve, the eleven wounds would give you so eleven you, points. So you're worth ah, eleven points. Okay, so infinite infinite lawnmower might be a thing. <laughs> but what you've got to remember that you can only summon around heroes. Yeah, but all the chariots are heroes. Yeah, but like if you and got to be nine away from the enemy. Yeah. We just set so them up and if dra- you... drive them back in next turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if you think about, yeah, but you can't set it up if you can't set it up within range of a hero that's yeah. outside of nine. So oh, it's yeah, important yeah, yeah. to have a uh, keep your hero staged up. But six heroes of Slanesh, because they they do the same as the chariots you take anyway. There is yeah. a a fun list there that is ridiculous, but not overpowered ridiculous. That... That, that's that's a final list right there. That's just going to be so much fun, I reckon. Yeah. You'll, you'll you probably lose three season. games and win three games at the final, <laughs> but I think you'll have a great time with it. Yeah, you would. I, I can't wait when we go to the final and there's just like the top tables are all Slanesh Lawnmower armies. <laughs> what oh, do you think about um, the changes to Zinch? I like it because I think right now they're just too strong. Right now you've got the Fate Dice, the Summoning like infinite locking stuff in combat Hearing with horrors combat. yeah oh, so God. if you're a combat army and you go into zinch it's turn four or five before you might even actually get to attack something that's not a pink a blue or a brim and at least you'll get even though they still got plastic cast and stuff like that at least you'll get a chance to unbind their stuff unless they are literally like the opposite corner of the board from you so and one one thing i know it's it is strong for zinch like the way they go i'll summon a herald He's going to use his book, cast on three dice, do a six more wound spell. Oh, I get to cast again. Now I'll do a bolt. And then I, I, I think it's going to curve them back in and it'll make them a bit of a harder army to play with, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to make uh, like horrors and that really interesting because you're going to almost like if you spread out and you you kind of you you kind of get a double turn against them. And you clear off a load of horrors. They're going to have a load of points, but you're going to be like, I've just got to not allow them to place those units. Well, the thing is, if you kill a hero that's nearby as well, then they can't set up the horrors because they're not within nine of a hero. So if you go in, blitz mm. the unit of horrors, then like shoot off the hero or tag the hero and kill them as well, they've effectively lost that whole unit's worth of points because they can't set it up anywhere. Yeah, but they keep the points. Oh, you keep the blue horror so points. If, okay. If there's another. If there's another, yeah, you just have a separate resource. Yeah, okay, so then you just set so if, them up the other side of the board somewhere. Yeah, but as long as you've got a hero nearby. Yeah, I mean, it's, so still, I think it's going to be about you to, killing the hero. Yeah, it allows you to create a bit of space. Yeah. Um, I still I think, think they're going to be good. I think they will. I think you'll see horror units almost like springing up around the table and things like um, the like fast-moving heroes are going to be a pain in the ass. Because you're going to be, or even like the changeling, go like, okay, well, I'll just put him right out of the way, away from the enemy, just on the side of the board, oh. because he's just there to be my horror yeah. spawn point. Then later and they're on, they're going to go, oh, I'm going to have to send someone over there just to try and get rid of him, because yeah. otherwise I'm going to get horrors spawning for that part of the board. Yeah, later on, oh, here's four units of blue horrors sat on the back of the objective or something. It's, yeah, like he, I think he's he's taken a bit of a hammering recently on like how good he is mm. in the game with like all the changes to how you reveal him i, I think this kind of pulls him back into it a little bit and makes him a pain in the ass because he's a hero yeah, think... you can't originally target that allows you to keep that within nine summoning thing going yeah so you can basically go 
I've got someone's got to like run over and like touch him to see him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but he at the same time he's just going to keep running away. So you're so it's like a, a really elaborate game of tag, and as he's yeah. running away, horrors are just going to be spawning all over the place. It's pretty yeah. computer gamey, isn't it? It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. No, I think I think it's going to take off the pure just at the moment. I think Zinch are just too they're too good right now. I think it just pulls that little takes the edge off. I think. It might make them even worse. Like the new summoning could make them horrific. It, I, I don't think it will, but I I think they're going to be more fun to play against. Yeah, I think so. I that, think it's going to take. I think it's definitely going to be more fun. I mean, I played a game of my Night Haunt against them at Cardiff, and it was like okay, so I just bogged down in combat for the entire game against units that are worth no points. Whereas at least now, if I go in and wipe unit out. I'm, I'm then I get a double turn. I'm free yeah. to go into the Lord of I mean, Change. I mean, I, I mean, I had that at South Coast in round two. My great and clean one went in. He killed pink horrors, blue horrors, and brimstone horrors for five. My five combat turns plus his like four or five rounds of combat as well. So for ten rounds of combat, maybe like between eight and ten, my great and clean one was just fighting stuff that he was forever stuck on. Because like, as soon as you retreat away, he just charges you and tags you again. Yeah, and and and, and like all like strings out in a line, he just puts like one guy within like two point nine inches of you. Yeah, and, and then you're like, well, I have to pile back in or retreat away. And then if you win the turn roll, you're just going to charge me again anyway. I had like my blood knights gummed up by him after failing the mystical terrain, and now that won't happen because one mystical terrain doesn't do that, and two, he can't do that with the horrors. So yeah, it it's a it's a much better change for the enjoyment of the player playing against the Zinch. Yeah, um, and it'll be make the person using the Zinch a better player as well. So yeah, I think so. I think I think it opens up a massive like, it, it, away even away from Zinch. It, all the all the new mechanics around summoning are going to add, add to interesting board, board um, control tactical decisions on the table. Yeah, like I need to control this space to stop units appearing. I need to kill the heroes to stop this happening. Um, I need to not kill units because I don't want to give them enough points to summon something. Uh, you know, so it's going to add to this. I'm going to have to try and force the corn player to use his blood tithe on other abilities. The resource um, management part of it's going to be really good. I it's think, really interesting, isn't it? I think, like again, with like stuff like Silanesh, having like a couple of little units of five seekers are going to be amazing for tagging a unit so it can't shoot. And just getting up the board so that it's it's controlling that space where they probably want to summon something, like mm-hmm. in the way, like a bridge between you and your opponents, so they can't summon stuff like in front of you. They have to summon it closer to themselves, and they can't get it behind you. So I, I, I think it's gonna be really cool. And I found that with the Maggot King, when you kind of always put your tree in the middle of the table because you're like, well, I want to run and charge off of it. Yeah. But now you're gonna be thinking, oh, hang on a minute. But if they stand next to the tree, I don't get my contagion points. Um, so, I, but I want them because I want to summon. So, when when you and summon with Nurgle, does it have to come hmm. up near a tree? It's within a hero or a tree. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, if if you just bog down all the trees, then with these fast units again. But the trees only generate points if there's no enemy you'd model. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. So you just so, you just run the your fast units mm-hmm. like. Maybe not something like prosecutors, because if you take more wounds from it, you're going to probably, you know, they'll die quicker. But ten wound, like fast cav units and things, they're just going to go and yeah. sit on these objectives, like the 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 resource generators, and they're going to switch them off. Yeah, and you need to as well. You'll you'll probably see like Horticulus will be quite popular. Oh, I think he's going to be. He can drop yeah. a tree, 
and it's at the start of the hero phase, so you can immediately drop a tree, generate D3 points, get 3 points for your territory, another point, and Gut Rot Spoon will be really useful, because you'll be able to deep strike into their territory, and then start earning 3 extra points for being in their territory. Same with Nurglins um, as well, if, they, if they've got like yeah, a terrain Nurglins piece, too. you just pop their Nurglins into their terrain, so mm-hmm. yeah, I I think I think Nurgle's going to be really good. Like, I've um, I think top, probably a top army for sure. I don't know. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, and I think the army that's going to be probably the most interesting is going to be the Legions and the Gash army um, because the command point resource is going to be so important. And a lot of other armies can use those command points for things like guaranteeing charges or re-rolling runs or doing combo abilities, whereas they're going to have to keep them to try and keep their units alive. Yeah. And you'll get the point where you go, do I use the command point to make my skellies immune to battle shock, or do I just let them die and then use the point to bring them all back again? Yeah. <laughs> and and there'll be that positional play element to it. But I think it's super interesting. Um, it's certainly, I mean, it, it's it's quite it's one of those things where it's like this is actually quite a risky. Um, you know, thing because it's going to be quite interesting to see how it plays out. But I'm I'm confident it won't be that bad. But um, I think you'll definitely see the meta shift significantly. Yeah, like my like my sort of last three four months in the game, I've not really enjoyed the game much because I've I've leaned towards the hobby and the painting so much that I've I've just gone away from the game because I knew like they announced that the um, thingy Adepticon that the uh, the eels and stuff will come in. Uh, the Deepkin, so I was like super pumped for them. And then a bit later on, you've got the announcement for Age of Sigmar 2, and at that point, I'm just like, oh, I'm kind of just going to focus on painting now, and I'll um, I'll get back into the game later on. But going through all this stuff, it's actually got me kind of pumped for the game again. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Um, obviously, new edition. We've gone through all the changes. We've talked about, um, you know, the, the the big rule changes, command points, magic, the unbinding, the subtleties of piling in, the the limitations that have been put onto shooting, um, your kind of battle shock split unit rules, your cover rules, the new obstacle rules and and terrain war scrolls, realmscape rules, um, endless spells, and then the new allegiance abilities and the summoning, and we haven't touched a lot of the stuff that's in the handbook and in um the malign sorcery expansion do you do you think the first like two or three months of the game are just going to be an absolute carnage mess of... i hope so yeah of unsettled undecided what is good what isn't good well there could be stuff winning tournaments the first three months that turns out nine months later is absolutely awful but it's just, just no one does knows what it does yeah yeah like you i think it's it's going to be a great it's going to be a great period of upheaval. Yeah, because you've got a new core set, a new handbook, and all this malign sorcery and realm stuff all dropping at the same time. It kind of feels like it's maybe too much stuff to change in one go, but at the same time, it's like, here it is, just get, it, get on with it. Just here, here, Here's everything, just fucking go nuts with it. Yeah, you're all in the same confused lump. Rock on, enjoy. Yeah. I think for us, it was a massive challenge with the playtest because um, obviously you're seeing it all come at once. Whereas when we play tested because of production lead times, um, we have to do this as a staggered approach. 
bearing in mind that they're going to come out together. So um, it was really challenging, actually. Um, but I think, um, and also from so many variables changing, it's very hard to kind of like understand the impact. Because we've not even gone through what Maline Sorcery does, but having like seen no. all of the spells that they've shown so far on the community site and what some of them do, some of them sound like the combos and things you'll be able to do like with the like just say like the mirrors one we used the example earlier where Nagash can like do a, a hand of dust through a mirror across the board and just one shot a hero it's like it's cool isn't it's it? just some of the it's just cool it's cool to have purple sun back as well yeah the model's awesome as well yeah um, like the the push fit the the push fit set is just like sheer I, pardon the pun but sheer wizardry I didn't realize um, it was push fit that's amazing. It comes the the set's amazing. So it comes in a box with a handle. Yeah, I saw that. Up, and inside is a plastic bag, which all patterned with the Age of Sigma stuff that you can pull apart and open. And all the sprue is coloured push fit plastic. Oh, so you oh, could literally they're all pre-coloured as well. They're all coloured plastic. So you've got silver, purple, blue you know, red, and you could literally pull them out the and brown bases. So you could basically pull it out of the box, cut them all out, pop them all together. You've got all the War Scroll cards in there and your book. So all the War Scroll cards are like half-size War Scroll cards that are really cool now. The new ones and, they've shown do look really cool. And you get them in start set as well for the start set units. So basically you've got all your reference cards for all the Malign Sorcery. You've got your book. And you've got this cool bag of of, of push fit um, spells, um, so you could literally have all your malign sorcery spells built within thirty minutes, um, you know, and on the table. I like that. That's it's, really good. It's just great. Super smart. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. It's like one of those really like gimmicky like presents. You'd be like, oh, it's like my goodie bag of spells. Um, <laughs> Not in the do, do, do you think? <laughs> do you think we're going to see a lot of malign sorcery? I, I hope so. I think at the start, you you're going to see loads of it because people are going to just want to chuck all these purple suns and stuff around. Who doesn't? I, I think they're going to be... Who doesn't want to... Yeah, I think they're going to be really popular. I think... Um, we'll talk about it more when we do our Malign Sorcery show, but um, personally, I think um, we will see quite a few of them to start with. But I think as the time goes on, people start getting efficient with their points and you'll start to see some fall to the wayside because they'll go, do I spend this many points on a spell or do I have a command point and a triumph or do I have a extra unit? Now, for me, I just like the options that are opened up with army design. So even if you play Iron Jaws, you've got new options in terms of what you can do with malign sorcery. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, because you've now got this extra layer to the game that you can use. And even like Iron Jaws, if you take, if you go for multiple wars in one turn, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, definitely. Have a mega war. <laughs> So um, 
I've, I, anyway, I've, I'm really excited to see how the game pans out. Um, I think my Maggot King will be super strong. I've got some changes I want to make to my army list. Um, I'll probably talk about that in a separate show um, if I'm going to still play Maggot King, but I've, I've also got a Nighthorn army. I, and I'm I really want to do Nighthorn after seeing the new yeah. models. I, oh, I just, I just want that new stuff. They are incredible. Um, be so and, quick to paint uh, as well. Yeah, they are, but I mean, obviously, the new models have got a lot more kind of detail on them. So I know, but I think I think, I think you could just build 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 them all white spray, do the ghost technique stuff over them, and then just yeah. go back and paint some weapons, and then you could go back and like do the little details later on, but still have like a decent looking army to just game with. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, basically. that's what I'm, so I'm really gonna... tempted to do it, but now I want to do the lawnmower army. <laughs> <laughs> I think that 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 Sonesh army is going to be super good, mate. So I I would um, I would crack on with that for you. That sounds like a lot of fun. It'd be nice to see you do something different as well. Well, that's why I'm doing the Deepkin because they're not chaos and they've got their own book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they pan out as well. Um, I, I'm not I'm not so. I think they do have a lot of a lot of good stuff in the book, but I think Deepkin are quite a hard army to play with. I, I like I said, I I think. I kind of think they're going to struggle by not having summoning, but I don't know. Be just have to see how it plays because like the lists I've written for Deepkin are quite small. You don't get a lot in an army. I still think they're going to get to nuke Pickles things before they get to use their command points pretty effectively. Yeah, and I think they're fast enough to shut boards down from summoning and yeah things like that. And I think you've got a lot of. Um, I mean, you look at stuff like oh, you 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 kind of can get into I think I think the Deepkin's an army that that is not been explored much I mean to be honest at the heat Gary was around the top tables and Les was doing fairly well with him I mean he beat Brian who come third in duality when he had four phoenixes that's that's a pretty good result yeah that's I'm not quite sure how that happened um you just played board well. space yeah he used the eels to alpha strike took the objectives Eidolon's got the 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 cloud of uh, cloud of mist, so he could he could tank shut for a down while. one turn and yeah. But um, Les is Les. We lost Les because it was late and he needs to go to bed, so he jumped off. But um, uh, that's why he's been really quiet. <laughs> so, but maybe he'll talk about that when, on another show when we when he starts playing more events with them. Because obviously, as the gay game goes on and the year goes on, we'll be playing events of our armies. Are we talking about it? So you're going to hear about our journey. Um, through Age of Sigmar 2 and Soul Wars uh, just as much as you guys we start in your journey and if you're new to the game welcome to the community and hopefully um, you know you'll enjoy the ride and people who've been around for a while in the Age of Sigmar world then uh, I think this is super exciting times and I've been waiting for this for a long time so uh, we've got plenty of events I'm, coming up to make the most of it as well I'm super super pumped for this I've got um even just reading the background and if you haven't watched the Stormcast show there's some really interesting ones where Phil Kelly's talking about the background and what I like about it because it's only a 15 minute show it's like a snippet you can listen to it when you're traveling or when you do the washing up or something or some sort of boring housework or something like that or doing some gardening it's only like a, a quick little show and what you what you get is these nuggets of information and like the way that um Phil talks about the necroquake from the gash 
and you know the the people in the realms and have the expanded out and it's just really interesting so i'd I'd say if you get a chance just just check some of those out because i don't really read the background there's too much too much words to read when i've got other things and you know lots of stuff in my competing for my free time um but but what's really nice about that is you get a flavor for it without having to invest the time to read all the book um i'm sure garage hammer as well will cover extensive background coverage because um that's what they do so i'd say recommend check those guys out as well uh so i know dave whitech and um and alex who do a pretty good job in that sort of side of things so i'd say listen to that and there's plenty of blogs and things like that so check it out awesome uh, anything else you guys want to add before we sign off um we will obviously do doing more content around age of sigmar 2 but this is our first comprehensive review so is there anything else you guys want to add i think yeah, i think we've actually probably beasted most of what's in there <laughs> i think so um hopefully you guys appreciate the show um if you've got any comments or you know you you want to know about anything just let us know um we would again really appreciate any support you guys can give us by pre-ordering your stuff through element uh through the banner that'd be amazing uh really looking forward to facehammer this year and, and what that's gonna what this new edition is going to mean for facehammer um, we will be um re- releasing a revised pack um uh probably around july um after we've had a little bit of exposure to aos2 um, it won't be anything massively changing. It'll basically be more straight out of the box, um, just just to tell you what rules we're going to be using and, and not probably most of it, to be honest, um, and just what scenarios we'll be playing uh, because actually there's 18 scenarios for match play now. So uh, again, when we do our general's handbook review, we will talk about the scenarios in detail. But there are now 18 match play scenarios in the general's handbook. Wow. So <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that's that's going to be good for list design as well. Definitely, we've got eggs coming up as well, which hasn't sold out uh, because Facehammer has. So, if you want to come and play worst rather than at an event we run, then come and see us yeah. at eggs. I'm I'm super hoping I can have my night haunt on the table for then. Um, blackout as well, beginning of August. Uh, I think that's over 85 tickets sold now, so the, the, that's selling out quickly. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and, and obviously, Blood and Glory tickets have gone up for sale as well. So, I, if you want to go I Blood think... and Glory. There was twenty eight left of one hundred and fifty AOS tickets when he put up for, for Age of Sigma Two for Blood and Glory. So I think, I think there's, oh, I, I think, think as of this morning, there was twenty eight left. And he so, just snagged mine. What's today? The yeah. So you're looking. I reckon that'll be sold out in a week. <laughs> yeah. So get on their sharpish yeah, if you're so. listening to this. I need to get on their sharpish to get mine. Yeah, I would say so. So, um, yeah, I, let, hopefully um, there'll be some. We'll be some some cool stories from events soon. Um, we will be doing a malign sorcery show. We'll go through all the war scrolls, the models, how they feel to assemble, and uh, how to use them in existing lists, and some little cheeky combos. Um, that'll probably be out in a week or so, uh, depending on when we get to record. Um, uh, hopefully do something over the weekends. Obviously there's quite a lot of content to cover and not a lot of time to do it. So uh, we'll try and get as much out as possible. Uh, we do want to also look through the um, uh, the General's Handbook and points changes and talk about the meta with that. Um, and one of the things that we need to do is a Legions of Nagash review, um, which we will cover 
um, at some point. So uh, hopefully that will be soon-ish. Um, so anyway, thanks for joining in uh, with us and listening. Uh, hopefully this has been useful and a comprehensive guide to Age of Sigma 2, and we'll catch you all soon. Awesome. Right. Wait, Sam. Bye. To make sure you don't miss out on any more Hammer to Your Face, subscribe to us on iTunes, add our RSS feed to your reader, and follow us on Twitter at facehammer underscore. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to give us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.